Welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, I have a very special guest. This man has been doing so much amazing music his entire life since he was a child. He's been in Project X, Side by Side, Youth of Today, Judge, Civ, Gorilla Biscuits, Glass Jar, Rival Schools, Nightmare of You, Head Automatica, King Left, and Limp Biscuit. Correct? Sort of. Everything was good <laughs> except for the King Left. The nice dudes, I helped them. I kind of like produced and helped them. Um, Help them do their EP. Okay. But I didn't play drums. So welcome to the podcast, Sammy Siegler. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Good to see you, this man. This is nice. This is a great room. I feel like I'm in a, like a hardcore museum. <clears throat> it kind of is. It's very cool. I was in the kitchen originally, and then uh, I would leave it up for a couple of days, and we couldn't have dinner there. So Who did this painting? Bit. It's like a little Jackson Pollock vibe down there. Oh, my son did that. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, my son did that. He um, He's, he's a little artist. Mm-hmm. So let's get to you. Let's get to your life. Before you, know, you became... The same way that you are, and the, and the whole the world knows. Um, you were born in New York, correct? Yeah, yeah. I grew up on uh, I grew up on Fifteenth Street between Fifth and Sixth. Um, My dog farted. By the way, I'm so sorry. Okay, okay. hasn't hit me yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, I grew up downtown. Like, um, you know, my dad, my grandfather, I guess. Okay, to go way back, my great grandfather bought a building back okay. in 1876. Damn. On West 11th Street, and okay. it was a moving and storage business. I think it was like an old horse stable or something like that. And my great grandfather ran this moving and storage business. My grandfather and his brother ran it. My dad and his brother oh, ran right. it. Oh, right. I used to see those trucks in New York. Siegel Brothers Moving and Storage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Since 1876. Damn. So, um, so that was cool. So I grew up downtown, and and. Uh, you know, my dad played drums. My grandfather played drums, which was sort of interesting because, you know, the family business was cool. It's nice to have a family business to step into. But I think that like my dad, he was a great drummer. He still is a great drummer. But I think he would have kind of pursued that more if he didn't fall into that family business. Yeah. Um, but what was cool is that that I mean, to sort of jump ahead is when my parents got divorced. My dad actually moved into that warehouse. He took one of the floors and kind of just carp- like threw up a wall oh, and shit. had this dope but very freezing cold fucking little bachelor pad mm-hmm. midlife crisis uh but he threw but he set up his drums okay and i set up my drums in there and that was really cool because we you know later when i was playing in bands yeah i was able to rehearse in there and and which is rare in manhattan to have that yeah totally how old were you then um when they got to, i think i was like nine when okay. they got divorced yeah so how were you in school did you like school um i wasn't really focused i liked it like from the social aspect of it i guess you know i i um i kind of went to a bunch of different schools I remember, and you know, it was wild. So I went to a couple of different like private schools, which was cool. And and yeah. um, I went to friend like VCS and friends, and and then McBurney, where like Richie Birkenhead actually went, and, awesome. and Adam Horowitz went, a bunch of kids. But um, and then I McBurney moved school, moved buildings. We're like we're moving buildings. It's gonna be great. I'm like, yeah, okay, awesome. So it's 1988. I went on tour that summer with Youth of Today. Damn. Traveling around in a van, come back. School's about to start a week later. My mom's like, your school went out of business. Oh, she, he mentioned that. Richie mentioned that. And I was that, like, actually. what the fuck? Like, how does your school go out of business? <laughs> That's you crazy, know? Yeah. So I was like, I know this girl. She goes to this place called PCS. It's like professional children's school. Like, let's visit it. My mom's like, cool. We visited yeah. it. Next thing you know, I'm going to the school. And that was a trip because it was a very small private school on West 60th Street. And a lot of like, like the Cosby kids went there. And like wow. kids that were like actors and, you know, somewhat professional kids that yeah. didn't, they allowed you to go in correspondence, which means you didn't really have to attend. You could just kind of take your shit and go. That's cool. Co- coincidentally, that winter, I, youth today got an offer to go to Europe for two months. And so I was able to leave and not get left back because any other school you would have yeah. had to repeat. So, um, you know, I went on tour in Europe with youth today that, that year, like February and March and was just like sending homework back and Dan, what grade were you in? That was like 10th grade. 
So, but how did you get involved originally, like into music? Like, what was your first exposure mm. to that? I think it was. Um, it kind of goes back to Kiss. I think. Oh, interesting. And then I have an older sister, so I was in a Kiss, pro- you know, whatever, part of the Kiss Army, nine, <laughs> seven, Army. eight years old or something like that. And uh, right. and then you know my dad and grandfather and teaching me like you know a double stroke roll of just like mama papa mama papa just real primal mm-hmm. shit and being into it and air drumming and wanting to be, you know, like in a kiss situation. But then also my sister turned me on to like Devo and Blondie. Nice. And I had a really good friend who was into that as well. So we were like, you know, that kind of felt like punk. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it was the beginning, the beginning of it. Sure. Um, I met Matt Pincus who played bass and judge at a really early age. Like I was 10 and he was 11 and met him at orientation school. And he came up to me. He's like, he's like, what's up? And he's like, are you punk rock? And I was like, yeah, I'm punk rock. Are you punk rock? <laughs> So he and I were punk rock together and That's had like awesome. an air drumming band and, and would, you know, he learned how to play, um, police and thieves by the, you know, oh, well, not by the clash, but the clash version. Yeah. Um, and so we would like kind of jam that and that, you know, sort of, I think that's kind of really where it began and then taking drum lessons and kind of being like, all right, I'm into this, but I didn't really, it didn't kick off till I joined a, a band. And that was my sister introducing me to these two older kids, Alex and Toby, who later became the Skidanks. Okay. Uh, Rocker T <laughs> okay. and Alex Valenti, who in a weird wow. way, I think is like connected with Maddie Pasta now, maybe. Okay. Like, I feel like he played in Leeway for one show, okay, which yeah, I, he did, yeah. I see him on Instagram, which was yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're the dude. Anyway, they had a band, <laughs> called, they had a band called Noise Police. Okay. And uh, so I joined Noise Police and we had, it was like reggae, ska, punk, hardcore band. Sick. And we, they covered Agnostic Front's Power. Oh, and shit. that was my first intro to like New York hardcore was like this song called Power. Wow. Which was, you know, I could barely keep up. Yeah. And, you, you know, hadn't, I w- you hadn't been to a show yet, right? And I was 10. I didn't go. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. telling the story to my friend last night, actually, that my sister, my dad dropped us off at the Old Ritz to go see Musical Youth. It was Sick. like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon Pastor show. Dutchie. And I chickened out. I got so fucking scared because it was all these older kids and I chickened <laughs> out. And I didn't go. Oh, shit. But I saw, you know, I was going to concerts. I saw the Stray Cats at the Old Roseland. No. I saw, I think Sha Na was my first concert. Sha and I was big into like concerts, you know, like I would yeah, go yeah. see, uh, I actually saw the Beasties open for Blondie in Say. 84 and saw like, um, I don't know, just, you were talking about Christian Asoy. There was a, a Vans thing with uh-huh. like Per Ubu at the Beacon. Okay. Which is a crazy story in the itself. Beacon we, we can get to that. Yeah. Um, let's get to that real let's, quick. That was a wild t- story. Yeah, tell me, man. I was, uh, I was like, I want to go to this. Th- it was a Swatch <laughs> Watch show at the Beacon. Before the X-Watch, And my yeah. dad took my friend and I to go and like didn't have tickets. We didn't get tickets up there. And we went around the back of the beacon and he was talking to these big dudes, these two guys, and worked out some deal, mm-hmm. gave him some money. Next, you know, these two dudes opened up the back door of the beacon. And my friend and I, this is like age 10, yeah, went into this back dark stairwell with these two dudes. Oh, shit. And just my dad was like, later, like I'll pick you up after, meet you out front at five <laughs> or something. And next, you know, we go up these stairs and we pop out of the bathroom of the beacon. And these dudes had like a little hustle to get oh, to get shit, in, there. in there. And we saw, I think it was Per Ubu, unless I'm getting confused with something else, but it was definitely like Hosoi and it was skate and it was a ramp inside the beacon. It was like a skate swatch watch Damn. thing. Were you a skater then? I was. Yeah. I used to skate a lot in like Washington Square Park and um, you know, there was like Soho Skates at the time yeah. and like Harry Jumanji and these dudes were like the gods. They That's were the right. legends, you know, this guy Pepe used to skate in Washington Square Park and jump like fifteen garbage cans. Yeah. But that was the hangout. I would go there. Um, my sister actually dated Harry for like a minute, like oh, wow. a, a long, long time ago, which I remember coming home to my house and like Harry Jumanji's in my kitchen. <laughs> oh, I'm like, that's that dude. Like, wow. He's a fucking legend, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'd build ramps and just skate, skate around New York street skating. We never really had access to like half pipes or anything. Yeah. Shit. What was your favorite trick? Your favorite trick? Um, you know, 
I guess it's let's go classic. Let's go like boneless. Sick. You know? I love boneless. Maybe an acid drop, maybe a sick yeah. slide. <laughs> I kind of got lost when like kickflips came around. I was yeah, just like, too. I can't do I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> I had a good run. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a sweet power slide, look yeah. out, dude. I'm unstoppable. You love the Bones Brigades videos too. Loved back it. Then, too. Loved it. Thrasher, all that stuff. Such a game changer. Yeah. It went co- it went side to side with like with punk rock too, you know? Yeah. It was like the soundtrack back then. Yeah, for sure. But um but to go back to Noise Police yeah. was um was this band with Alex and Toby and it was like the three of us playing punk ska hardcore cover power. Yeah. And uh we played so we played some local shows like the Village Independent Democrats had a space in Greenwich Village. We played some weird show. I've got some photos from there that are pretty bugged out. Like I was Damn. just teeny, barred my dad's drum set, did it. But one of the really probably one of the illest shows I think I've ever played in my life mm-hmm. was um it was called Founders Day, where Stuyvesant High School would go on a boat, like maybe the Circle Line Ferry or something like that. Okay. The whole fucking school, the high school, would go on a boat and go to like one of, I guess, Governor's Island or something. Yeah. And we played on the boat. Oh, And shit. so it's like, I you know, city, yeah. like mid 80s on high school, Stuyvesant High School on a boat. Like kids are dropping acid, kids are fucking stoned. <laughs> and this one dude jumped through this plate glass window on the boat. Supposedly Damn. somebody jumped off the boat. Holy we played shit. our set, you know, there was like skanking, moshing, whatever wow. during our thing. And then uh, we went to Governor's Island or something, probably smoked some weed and came back. And so I was kind of like, <laughs> you know, exper- they would get me high. I was experimenting with that at yeah, a yeah. very, very young age. Yeah. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I, uh, I think it was Walter Schreifel's brother, Dylan, who was a friend of mine and my friend Chris. And they, they met, yeah, and Chris said, hey, my friend Dylan... They introduced me and Dylan's like, hey, my brother's got a band called Gorilla Biscuits. Wow. Um, you know, they need a drummer. Do you want to do you want to do it? And that was really, I think, my introduction to, to the, that whole crew. And so I ended up actually playing in GB like in 85. Wow. So I was uh, 12 Damn. years old. And I think I played like two shows and they kicked me out because I really wasn't that good. But um, <laughs> And then how soon after did you get in you today? So that was, um, so playing in Gorilla Biscuits, yeah, we played... You know, one of the shows I did play with Gorilla Biscuits was the Birth of Unity show at the Right Track Inn. Okay. And that, like, I don't know, you have to look at the flyer, but it was okay. just like every fucking band. You know, okay. it, was, it was Bold's first show was Bold, and I want to say Warzone played, and maybe Token Entry, like a lot of bands. And I played with Gorilla Biscuits, and that was, to me, just like the the intro, like, to welcome to what's fucking possible. Mm-hmm. I remember these two, like, metalheads were fucking with me and my friend, and Jay Crackdown came to the rescue, like, we didn't even know him, he's just like... I got you like kind of yeah. swept in that's awesome um, so it was just dope on so many levels yeah and um and then i don't know oh similar kind of i think my friend chris met jules uh massey from side by side okay and um similar kind of thing like hey dude need, you know these guys need a drummer they have a band called side by side yeah and i met those dudes okay and started playing in side by side first okay and it was uh you know gavin was in the band at the time mm-hmm. and it was billy and eric and um you know and luke was really involved luke was sort of like the mascot like kind of like oh I mean, he like he wrote the time is now and he wrote okay. some songs and and he grew up with eric fink in brooklyn but uh but side by side started opening for youth of today so okay. on these road trips so we go on these you know going to pennsylvania for the week yeah. or whatever and, and shit, yeah. you know like uh and i think that's kind of how i met those dudes and, and you know purcell and i became super tight he was like a big brother mm-hmm. you know capo was kind of like the angry dad to me yeah <laughs> and uh but you know there was a whole crew and alex brown and all these yeah. all these cats you know and walter and um so yeah, I can keep going. Yeah, no, yeah, keep going. You were 15? So I was like 14. Still. So yeah, because this was, pro- I remember when I joined Youth of Today, it was, I went to California with them in 87, so I was 14. Okay. 
But I remember like, did you graduate too before all this happened? No, this, I'm graduate. What? I mean, this oh, is school. Fourteen. Shit, that's fucking yeah. crazy. No, I Go mean, get to that. Go. you know, all the shows that we played really Damn. were on weekends. Yeah. Or this one. So when I, when I joined you today, just to back it up, um, I remember it was like Walter was really tight with Luke. Okay. And Purcell and I were really tight. Okay. And Mike Judge was the drummer for you today. He left to start Judge. Okay. They needed a drummer. I wanted to do it. Luke wanted to do it. We kind of had like a little competition mm. thing. And I think maybe Purcell just muscled me in in some way and I was able to get the gig. Wow. I did that. We put a show in Pennsylvania. I had like 102 fever. That's where that photograph was taken on the back of Ronald Salone. Okay. And then it was like, hey, we're going to California for a little run out there. And yeah. we're playing Fender's Ballroom with Uniform Choice in seven seconds. So I was 14. This was, I want to say, it was over some kind of school break. Um, but I was psyched to play Fenders because as a kid, I had all these posters from Fenders. Yeah. And it said like Long Beach. And I thought for some reason that was like Long Beach, Long Island. Yeah. And I would call them. I would call them from like my mom's phone. Just like, what's up? Like, you know, Circle Jerks are playing or Dead Kennedys are playing. You know, like, and they were just like, dude, we're in California. You wow. Know? So I was psyched to That's finally amazing. play Fenders. And it yeah. just, you know, it felt massive and and um and then we went up to gilman street and played with instead and it was a cool little run yeah um but yeah i mean looking back as far as managing school with all that as it was on it was during school breaks it was weekends and, yeah. and summers yeah um you know somehow i forgot side by side broke up and and was doing youth of today and then you know judge was happening and and they needed a drummer you know yeah. i think like luke played a show and drew played a show but for some reason those guys couldn't do it and they needed yeah. someone and i you know again persona were really tight and i did that and i yeah. did project x with them you know with those guys it's because crazy. again like as you know like a lot of this stuff just came out of just spot it was just real and friends spontaneous just, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. let's do something great hey let's do a fucking super straight edge then we'll call project x great yeah let's do it we'll have nicknames code names i'll be the youth <laughs> you could be Kid Hard, you could be Slam, you could be ND. So you went, you met them, they got you into Straight Edge, obviously. Yeah. You know, I was, again, like being 12 and 13, I was definitely like influential, like, like yeah, I'm doing what they're doing kind of yeah. thing. But yeah. unfortunately, it was all good stuff. And, and totally. uh, it's so, you know, in retrospect, like it's so much easier to be Straight Edge and to be vegetarian when you have your crew doing it. You know, we 100%. would like, and it was fun. Like we would seek it out. We would go to Quantum Leap you know, on We're Sundays spot, yeah. and like we would go on tour. We had this like little pamphlet this, that had like the one restaurant, you know, in South Carolina or like the yeah. one restaurant in Atlanta. And we'd go and it would be some like, you know, <laughs> Seventh-day Adventist or like some kind of religious. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Back typically. Um, Pre-internet. That one in Detroit. Did you ever that one? The, in uh, There was that club Blondie's and there was um, I remember Blondie's, this but... one like soul food vegetarian spot that was amazing. I remember you rocking the mother shirt too. I remember you yeah. put the mothers on the map. No, I mean Orange County was amazing. I remember touring the in '88, touring the whole country, and I came back to New York, and my aunt's like, you know, hey Sam, like you just toured the whole country. Like, what was your favorite place? And I was just like, Huntington Beach, Orange County. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> but there was such a crew there. There said, you know, yeah. there was mothers, which was like a soup, you know, still there. Whole Foods yeah. didn't exist, so it's a massive supermarket of all vegetarian health food stuff. Totally. Great restaurant. Yeah. Um, the staff was cool. I think Purcell like dated one of the waitresses and oh, wow. like we were all just like hanging out. It was a real community. And then all those Slothgrew kids that were yeah. in those bands and damn. Yeah. It was a really cool scene. So at that young age, did you realize that you wanted to do music for a career? It felt it just, again, it was like real spontaneous. Like, you know, and I was so young that it just kind of, this is what I did and I didn't think about it. But as far as the career thing, I remember like when it got tricky, when a lot of my friends started going to college and you kind of hit that point where like, all right, maybe you know, what am I going to do kind of thing? Like, yeah, I can't really do this. And, um, so I went to the new school, which was okay. over by me. They had a jazz program, which was, which was fun. Cause I wasn't 
a real trained musician and so it was nice to kind of just study a little bit and do like some basic ear training and yeah. this and that and, and uh and learn a lot about jazz the teachers there were the real deal i mean not like reggie workman who played bass with john coltrane was one of oh, my wow. teachers and i would go to chico hamilton's house and like some That's real sick, badass yeah. dudes uh, that was fun but then we started doing this band Civ, you know yeah and while I was in college and I was like also working construction with like Charlie from Civ and, mm -hmm. and some friends of mine and just kind of like, you know, thinking that I was going to do college, but yeah. we also had this band developing very quickly. What year was Civ again? This well, the record came out, I think in 95. Damn. Okay. So this was probably like 90, you know, 93, 94. Yeah. Um, and that just happened really quick. And, and I think I hit a point after two years of the new school where I was just like, I'd rather be in a band, man, and like tour. Like this was happening. We got signed to Atlantic yeah, Records crazy. and we made a video and we had like a buzz clip. It's crazy. And so that, you know, the thing for me when I look back is that it's important for things to, like I don't want to just keep doing the same thing. So it's important for things to kind of evolve or just change or take little yeah. turns. And what was cool about Civ was like, it's the same friends. It's hardcore basically. Yeah. But it's on, now you have like this, kind of uh, larger machine sort of totally. you know, giving you support now like yeah. you're in a tour bus and you're touring a lot more and we were going to Japan and we were going to Australia and we were just doing different shit and like yeah, you know man. I credit like probably The Offspring and Green Day and sure. Blink and all these bands for breaking that shit wide open 100% so but it was fun so that that was a whole different chapter like now we're just doing weird shit warp tours and we opened for kiss at the garden that's right you know dude. just shit. like which for me being a kiss fan and growing up in the city yeah. like that was a, a dream come true for sure yeah i mean you played you played in all those other bands too and those bands did really well and were successful and inspired a lot of people but then you get in civ and you make this record with your friends you, you know what there's no expectations right and then like mm -hmm. if i remember the buzzworthy buzzworthy video on m2 it was crazy mm -hmm. dude it was cool, and that just happened, you know, again, that was supposed to just be a project. We were going to do a series of uh, seven inches, like very just like, um, yeah, kind of just like riffing off some of the stuff that came out of England of just like, let's just do a single, just singles, yeah. you know, and, and have fun with the artwork. But then Can't Wait Minute More happened, and, and yeah, it just all took off quickly. We, we wrote an album and uh, and then toured and did it again, and um, it was a cool chapter for sure. It was really insane, yeah. man, like just watching uh, watching that everything. About it. I mean, we played a couple of the first shows with you guys. And we stuff. had a great tour that with you you and, and Sick of It All Dude. in Europe was like long as fuck, but it was awesome. crazy tour, man. We were in a sketchy ass bus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, you know, not to cry about a bus, but it was a exactly. sketchy ass bus. Um, it was, man. And there was probably 17 of us in there or something. Yeah, I got a lot of crazy pictures from that, like us, like pillow fights and... Yeah. Oh, oh there's a story from that I asked you about because I talked to Pete about it and I was trying to make sure it was true. Do you remember when we were in the gymnasium and shit got kind of crazy and I took my clothes off and I put shit on myself and I was chasing everybody around in gymnasium. Cause I feel like that happened a few times. Yeah, Pete, yeah, Pete said I think it was chasing you guys, you and Charlie or something. It was just wild shit, mm -hmm. man. I remember there was a uh, <laughs> the Manchester Mafia bootlegging yeah, brawl that kind of happened. Um, crazy, dude. That was That was kind of sketchy. And, uh, and then uh, Smokey... I think we've stopped at some like Chinese restaurant in Spain and Smokey stole some bottle of some kind of liquor that had a lizard in it. <laughs> drank that, eventually ate the lizard at some point. <laughs> Shit like that. Yeah. It was a really fun tour. Then like lizard we had, eating. We had no phones back then, so you like you would go into the offices and like use their phone and call home and stuff yeah. and like one of those tours, I think it might have been youth today back in, in eighty nine in Europe and I think it was Jordan that gave us like gave me like a fake calling number, you know, cause that was sort of the thing to do back then. It was like yeah. a military number possibly. Yeah. Maybe like MCI was the company. MCI, yeah, yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. And it was cool and it worked. I'll call my mom and I would, you know, check my like tape recorder voice <laughs> machine and shit and see who called me and this and that. 
And then I came home from tour, and like about a month later, I get a call like, hi, um, this is Special Ops from MCI. Uh, we saw a lot of phone calls to this number, and you know, we feel like, you know, basically like kind of busting me, and then I was like, oh, shit. And then I told my mom, I was like, look, there's someone I call you from MCI. Oh, wow. But... <laughs> Remember the phone dialers from Radio Shack? You could make them sound like quarters? I never did that, but I remember people doing that. I had that. It was crazy, yeah. man. It was so awesome. Yeah. So backtracking a little bit, obviously, like, um, Youth of Today, No More Video, and everything you guys were singing about back then, I feel like everything's come full circle with the whole planet, how everything's changing now. Yeah. But you guys were on, onto some shit back then that nobody was singing about. And I credit you guys and, and a couple other bands for spreading that message. No other bands done it. KRS wanted my philosophy in 88. Mm-hmm. But with the No More video, it was such a powerful thing to do back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Just thinking about KRS. I feel like KRS, for every awesome thing he said, though, he would also just say some kind of other, like, contradicting thing. <laughs> yeah, you know? kind of, yeah. But uh, I love KRS. My, my philosophy was the shit, though. It was, was great. Like, yeah. For sure. Um, um, yeah, no, no, the No More video was cool. But, I mean, Capo really... You know, I think he's a pretty special one of the one of the best. I agree. You know, and even get we still play and and you know he says shit on stage still that gives me chills and I'm back there and like he's just really inspiring. Like yeah, you know he's teaching yoga now and he's taking groups to India and he's doing all sorts of cool shit. But back then, maybe I didn't realize it as much until stepping away from it. But I mean, well before I joined you today, he they were my favorite band. So okay. the fact that I got into the band was amazing. Okay, and he was yeah he's like a fucking lightning bolt, like just yeah. insane lyrics and everything, man. Um, and great. So I think, you know, just even that record went on alone, like some of the subjects there were, t- you know, he's talking about like what goes around, comes around. It's like one about one night stands and, and, yeah, um, that's right. You know, casual sex. And then, you know, just topics that people weren't really, or slow down, just about like slowing your life down, fucking yeah. taking it easy, you know. Yeah. But those weren't topics that like other people were singing about. Like all the, yeah. You know, everything else was, I think, still just like, you know, yeah. fuck drugs, stay positive. Yeah. And, and unity, but about like, racism too on that record. Too. Yeah, it's keep it up. I think was about him, and and but no, no more was a vegetarian, you know, anthem. And anthem. He, and he had this idea for this video, and the best, or I mean, it's great that it never came out because it was so incredibly cheesy. But there was this movie, like a skit that he had written out that we actually did, <laughs> okay, and filmed, and it's somewhere, <laughs> hopefully nowhere. But uh, it was great. It was Tom Boiling Point, like about to eat a hamburger, and then I think like Walter kind of grabs his grabs his arm, grabs his shoulder. And then, like, Priscilla's like, what's wrong with that kid over there? Like, you know, how's he eating meat? And Cap was like, it's his lust. It's his passion. It's amazing. <laughs> shit. But, you know, I think <laughs> it's, like, the thing about, uh, I think the thing when I think about Ray Capo and, and Youth of Today and, and, like, even Shelter and Better Than a Thousand and, like, it's his lust, it's his passion video and all the shit that he's done and, like, he's done his spoken word thing yeah. and his books and all stuff is that he's just, like, He's into, uh, I mean, yeah, the message for sure, but he's also got like a sort of entertainer kind of theater type thing about him. hundred percent. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, like I always thought like those songs, like, uh, speci- specifically like on Run and Salone are almost like show tunes. Like it could be a sick Broadway mm. fucking thing. Youth Today on Broadway. <laughs> you know, like Time Will Remember, like Time Will Remember. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's all very uh, show tune-y. It was Tony, had Tony Robbins vibe too. Like. Mm-hmm. Super smart. But then, like, obviously, I was talking to Priscilla about it, too, is, like, then you guys, then then Judge, and Judge is more like a darker, like, I was saying people call that the age of core or bring it down of straight edge, mm-hmm. and, like, just darker and tougher, metaler vibe to it, you know? Yeah. Like, I think we were trying to be, you know, we were into Leeway, we were into the Chromax, yeah. you know, we were into... You know, some of that crossover stuff, like the, I think, Suicidal Tendencies, you know, of yeah. Join the Army and all that. Of Just Great like, album. let's kind of do some shit like that. 
you know, trying yeah. trying to be and obviously some Metallica and Slayer and stuff, but like just trying to kind of be heavy. And then you know, yeah. Mike was pissed, and you know, Mike wanted to kind of go one step further than you today, and, yeah. and really just you know, kind of put in people's faces. So yeah, um, and I think Earth Crisis came after that, like the next step. Yeah, as far as like straight edge hardcore. Yeah, I was thinking like, talking about the other day too. Like I credit a lot of it to also, I mean, so, or some of it to Tom Soares and Normandy Sound where we recorded it, and he recorded true. a lot of those bands. And he just made that shit sound so big. I mean, we were yeah. heavy and we were pissed, but like he just, you know, there's a, the production on that record, I think, um, yeah, kind of stepped it up and, and made it a little more timeless, you know? Yeah. And Purcell was saying like at that time, the scene was kind of like around 89, 90, he was getting violent, people pulling guns at shows and knives. Mm -hmm. so it was like a crazy vibe. And then, then like Judge goes on tour, then there's violence happening at those shows. Cause it was like a harder, yeah. you know, and like different kinds of walks, different kinds of like skinheads were coming out to see you guys and just a different vibe, right? Like, you know, I think you put that stuff in motion and there's all kinds of people out there that are going to take it different ways. And, and there were some kids that took it really literal and like, yeah. we're just like, okay, let's like beat up a fucking non-straight edge suit or let's blow mm -hmm. up a McDonald's or let's like, you know, do this or that. And so yeah. I think that kind of took. Same with straight edge and took, threat, same thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that kind of took Mike by surprise a little bit and, uh, yeah. But it was a cool band. It was fun. And again, like going back to what I was saying before about just evolving and it's, you know, I loved, you know, just fucking thrash and or like just the vibe of like side by side and youth today. But yeah. then to be able to try, you know, to I had a double bass drum pedal, you know, mm -hmm. or to try and or I, had yeah. a, I had a China crash or I had like yeah. a splash symbol, like just to try or a, a 10 inch rack tom mm -hmm. and like try and embrace just do different shit. Yeah. You know, a little bit, which was it was fun. And then Sid was still hard, but it had melodies and shit more pop, mm -hmm. pop appeal. Totally. It was different playing that style, but still like lyrically. And I mean, I feel like that record set you goes is almost a record after start today. Yeah. You know, personally. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, I mean, obviously yeah, Walter wrote it and, and, yeah. uh, and produced it and stuff. And it's crazy, man. Yeah. But uh, like, but like the youth crew shit too, I was talking to, um, what Priscilla was mentioning about just the whole look and everything. Like everybody's wearing boots and braces and spikes and chains and mohawks and shit. And you guys had the same mentality of like, you love punk rock and hardcore, but you guys are rocking varsities and vans and haircuts and tight beat. like the whole style was just mm -hmm. it was amazing i, I thought yeah. that was punk. so i thought that was punk like he was saying like to walk into cbgb's wearing a varsity jacket and not a leather jacket like right that's super punk to me i think there's also i mean again i was a little bit younger but you know capo richie ray bees those dudes were also working at nightclubs on the east village you yeah. know there was like an element of and you know hip-hop was coming out at the time yeah. bdp public enemy epmd you know all that yeah. stuff like so that um, those worlds kind of were out there, and they we, did. you know, Capo was like we sort of joked with him a little bit, but he was a real fashion dude. Like he would yeah. just, I mean, whether some of it worked, some of it didn't. He would wear like biker pants, and um, <laughs> you know, just but you know, he was into sneakers and like, yeah. And Dylan was into you know, had like troops and just like that's right, all the shit. Like you know, it probably came from hip hop and it came from just what was going on at the time, in, especially in New York, in yeah. New York, in the East yeah. Village and stuff. So um, it just again, it just like happened, but it's funny now when you see like, you know, champions big and Supreme and like the drops and like I long sleeve t-shirts and like, you know, like what's like in vogue. Camel and, pants, all that right. shit. Yeah. And yet it's like, and fanny packs. Yeah, that's which right. Which we used to rock and, and could then make fun of each other for them. But they're like, they're back, you know? <laughs> I don't know, my son's like, I want to get a champion sweatshirt, man. You like champion? I'm like, are you serious, right. man? When they came out back then, it was so thick and they were like, Right. Like Marcel said you could wear like just two champion hoodies in the winter, you'd be fine. Yeah, we would go to Bing we'd play anytime we play Buffalo, we'd go to the champion outlet in Binghamton, yeah. New York. Yeah. And just be we were so psyched. So um the people when you guys came out, obviously you said today because 
Minor Threat had been gone for such a long time. You guys came out and the straightest thing. There was some backlash for sure back then. And that was pre-internet too, so mm-hmm. people kind of bugging out like this whole all these straight edge guys or you know, I think Capo took the brunt of it and yeah. certain guys took the brunt of it. And I think for me being younger, I was able to kind of slide a little bit. Yeah. But uh <laughs> but you know, I mean Ray Ray is gay or oh, you know, yeah. all like I mean he t- definitely took the brunt of it for sure. Yeah. Um but you know, people like as an adult now looking at like things that are um are fucking hot topics or in your face or challenge your thought process or push yeah. you in a, out of your comfort zone. You know, people, some people are going to like react negatively to that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there was a band called negative youth. I remember they had a demo oh, wow. of songs. Like it was actually pretty good. I remember like <laughs> kind of liking it. I got it from some <laughs> records, but, um, crucial youth. Yeah. And like, what was it? Okay. Oh, Rilla biscuits. Oh yeah. You know, but it's just like, that's you know that's sort of shows how we were hitting a nerve 100 you know what i mean like we were just totally in your face and and yeah and saying some different shit that was fucking with people's i don't know yeah their comfort zone or something then you guys had richie with you too richie was a badass too richie was like a yeah well i was in like sort of the softer version of yot i mean the version before (laughs) me the break down the walls you had mike richie oh yeah you know craig was in there too for a minute you had craig uh but yeah, there was Walter, Mike Ritchie, and um, and Purcell and Ray. But then, then they, yeah, when you lost Mike and you lost Ritchie, it kind of, we had to, we had to, kind of check our our, fight, <laughs> our our tough guy vibe a little bit. But then Judge came out and Judge, and uh, I'm sure Mike was like, nobody's gonna fuck my friend. You know what I mean? Like it was like, mm-hmm. I'm like the protector of this. Like I'm like, like we're not all this way with it. You know, it could be. I don't know. But really, we were ground. into like, you know, we were in, we weren't into violence too. So yeah. you know, when we would tour Europe and fights would break out and Capo would stop the set. You know, talk to these, you know, whoever it was and try and figure it out. And yeah. Like real, you know, it's, there's a lot of tough guy shit and hardcore and punk yeah. and, and everything and hip hop and, and all sorts of sure. scenes. And like some people glorify it and this and that, but like the reality is that we did not, that wasn't our thing. Like was I wasn't, not, a, I wasn't a fighter, you Neither, know, like, man. and yeah. a lot of those dudes weren't, you know? Yeah. It's crazy because you get caught up in the New York scene. There's so many people around you that are like that. Right. And shit like going to clubs. I'm gonna see your club sheets and pillows and all that stuff. We just go to hip hop clubs. Totally. Like hip hop was a huge part of our lives back then. Mm-hmm. Especially being in New York at that time was like prime time living there, man. Yep. The best hardcore, the best hip hop. It was yeah, it was insane. It I mean, was, looking back, like it was just, you know, to be able to see, yeah, so like ultra magnetic MCs and yeah, and, you know, poor righteous t shirts and yeah, going to some of those clubs and seeing Dayla, Brand Nubian, yep. all that, Black yeah. Moon. Yeah, it was um yeah, it was a special time for sure. Yeah. And I think it kind of like, you know, as far as music, like kind of made me who I am. You know, my dad exposed me to jazz and to, yeah. you know, some Brazilian music and, and I listened to hip hop and funk and reggae. And, yeah. you know, after I left uh, or after Grill Biscuits broke up in yeah. 91, I, a friend of mine, um, I'm actually going to his wedding tonight, this dude, nice. Fabian. He had a band called 32 Tribes, I which was with that. these yeah. kids from Eunice, which was like the United Nations school. Okay. And so they were like the real deal. Like the bass player was from Jamaica. The singer was from Sierra Leone. The guitar player was from Ghana. Wow. The guitar player was from Pakistan. And like, so I joined this band. I was like, cool, let's do it. It's reggae. And mm-hmm. we would play Nels and we'd play like colleges. And um, so that was fun. And, you know, I like, I mean, of course I love hardcore and the message. Yeah. But I also am a musician. Like I dig playing music. And, yeah. And, you've always been like that. Yeah. Were you burnt on the hardcore thing too after? I think around 91, it was just like, it just wasn't, you know, we had a, I don't know, for me, like it was a strong run of many years of, of doing it. And yeah, like, it just right. wasn't, uh, f- you know, it lost some magic, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit. I think obviously like 
to me, when I look back at like the best time, it's probably around that 87 together seven inch, you yeah. know, or the way it is compilation yeah. when they were doing shows, the pyramid on Saturday, CB's on Sunday. Yeah. Anthrax, you know, all that shit. Anthrax, Rabies was trying to organize like a softball game. You had some records on sixth street. Yeah. And it was just, and it was really diverse. And so you look at like a comp that has nausea, YDL, Warzone, yeah, side by side, youth of today. That's the shit. Yeah. It's you true. know, that eclectic kind yeah. of like camaraderie yeah is awesome and you know it was cool later when you can see youth crew straight edge bands around the world but like it just kind of lost something like you know yeah. it's nice to see some mohawks every once in a while for sure you know <laughs> but, what i mean but, but you were part of something super special that like affected my life affected a lot of people's lives so i'm, I'm sure back then you're just doing it with your friends making this music you don't mm -hmm. think like we're gonna change the world and fucking but it's crazy the stuff that you guys were singing about that's actually happening now you know it's with the planet and stuff it's incredible man like mm -hmm. It's crazy, like to even not not like it just it was something you guys were passionate about that moment back then, but how it just just seeing the world change now. It's like man, my, these guys were singing about that fucking thirty years ago. It's yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, so thirty two tribes, you played that for how long? Was thirty two tribes was like Civ? two years, like around that. It was an interesting time. That was like, um, you know, yeah, kind of stepping, I guess, away from hardcore for a minute and doing thirty two tribes, and then going to the new school and college, and um, and then started to play in Civ. Yeah, you what, know? what were we doing in college? What were we studying? Music? Just music, jazz with these dudes, and, and awesome, you know, yeah, kind of. Uh, what the fuck was going on those years? It was interesting times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because you you weren't doing the hardcore. Yeah, then you came back for Civ, which was. Was there a moment in Civ like, holy shit, we're gonna be fucking massive, and this is gonna be like a career? Do you think like when you started blowing up? I mean, the buzz were of the video was enough to be like, holy shit. There, it was exciting for sure. Like when the buzz clip thing was happening, and and just you know, again, like all around the energy of, um, you know, with the Offspring selling shitloads yeah, of records man. and Green Day and all these bands, and then like, you know, having like a manager, you know, yeah, having Scott McGee. yeah, like having dudes around you, and and like this whole new thing, like, um, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you we made that second record. And I think we were really, oh yeah, we were kind of going for it. Like we were feeling, right. you know, we had toured with No Doubt for three weeks, and That's we were right. kind of like writing, you know, more pop tunes. And um, yeah, so I don't know. I I don't think we ever really. I, I like to think that we were grounded throughout all that shit. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, you get excited about it, but it's not, you know, what comes up goes up comes down. Kind yeah, of thing. it's crazy you say that because Purcell was saying how. After Shelter blew up on the Mantra record and they came back from South America, they had a hit song and they had bodyguards. Adam was in the band then, like right. MTV. Then they came back and they're like, they did the tour, no doubt too. And then yeah. they're like, we're gonna do. And then beyond this plan, they're like, we're gonna write any kind of song that can we can hit. We're gonna make a hit with this record, like the, a ska song, yeah. like a rap song. That energy was definitely there. I mean, in retrospect, like I wish we went back to Don Furies and made a fucking word. You know, I mean, I, I love that record we made too. Yeah, Thirteen yeah, yeah. Getaway, but yes, that energy was there for yeah. sure because you had. You had a taste of it. Just the climate, yeah. Yeah, It was man. punk pop or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And all these yeah. bands were, you know, on majors. And you had, you know, we had a producer. Yeah, Details Magazine, all this shit. Yeah. TV, yeah, like, yeah. like late night TV shows. Yeah. But it was cool. It was crazy. a cool experience. And, and then um, I think after that we started doing, oh yeah, we started doing Rival Schools. That's right. Yeah. With Walter. Yeah, that was great. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many records did you do with them? We did like two albums and one sort of unreleased album called Found. Yeah. But that was also right when I did Glassjaw too. It was, it was 1999, I remember, because I met my wife. And um, yeah. we met, uh, it was all happening at the same time. And I kind of okay. had to sort of like 
decide like if I was going to do Glassjaw or Rival Skulls because oh, both records came out around the same was time. Was Glassjaw big then too? No, not at all. And and they um, it's a great band too it, though. It was yeah, it was a cool. That was a really cool experience because like I'd always been with my my dudes, my crew. Yeah, you know, from you know Civ was an extension of yeah. you know, GB and Youth Today and all that stuff. And Rival Schools, Walt. Yeah, and Glass and Rival, exactly Rival Schools was sort of similar dudes as well. But Glassjaw was this whole like left turn. Mike Gitter. Um, Ross Robinson was producing this this record for Glassjaw and uh, Ross Robinson, yeah, man, He's and and they, he, you know the drummer wasn't working out for whatever reason, and Mike Gitter because Ross had a label through Roadrunner, yeah, said hey, I got this dude Sammy, like check him out, blah blah. blah. Next thing you know, I go in there, we're starting to do pre production. These dudes were all like nineteen. And now I was the older one in the band because I was always the baby. Kid, and yeah. now I'm like Father Time coming in <laughs> at like 25 or something. Wow. But these dudes were all bummed because I just replaced their friend naturally, you know? Yeah. But every day we go in, just work on a song. 12 days later, we had 12 songs. Went out to California to this studio called Indigo Ranch, which is like in Topanga Canyon. It's like a 60 acre ranch, Damn. fucking like almond trees, avocado trees. And <sighs> we go to record and the manager's like, hey, my roommate's... Um, she's going to come over with her friend and some other people come around like a barbecue and in walks this woman who's later becomes my wife. Holy shit. So she and I like hit it That's off. That's got goosebumps. That's cool. Totally man. That That's it's, cool. it's a goosebump type record, man. Like we, uh, <laughs> so Sue, my wife stayed for like two weeks. We just hit it off. It was wow. great. She went back to New York, she came back out again and you know, I'm out there playing drums, getting paid as a session dude to, to do it on a ranch and shit. Ross Robertson. and Ro you know, Ross. Yeah, totally. He's like, interesting dude, right? He's yeah. totally wild. Like he would just be in there in the room with you, a, a very like, you know, hands-on approach, like throwing rolls of duct tape at you. And, and that was your first experience with like a major producer. Cause obviously Don Fury. He's well, no, I mean, Siv had uh Steve Thompson. Okay. Okay. You know, Michael Barbier, those dudes okay. who like, um, that experience. But Ross was um, my first experience with like a fucking, maniac producer <laughs> in a great way yeah. i mean we recorded all to tape he took a razor blade out started slicing on my drum tracks like next to the tapes on the floor and you know i remember like going and we come down to, to do vocals you know and, and he'd invite all of us in the room so now like there's a bunch of us and my wife and a bunch of people hanging out and like you know daryl's about to do these vocals for yeah. some song and you know ross was just really like in your face like you know it's like what's this song about and Daryl's like oh it's about my girlfriend she broke up with me and i was really bummed out he's like no he's like what's what's this song about man and like just pushing him wouldn't let him go yeah. and he's like i had you know crohn's disease i'm in the hospital i'm bleeding on my ass my fucking girlfriend's like you know cheating on me with one of my best friends da -da -da. and he just like all right hits record and you know the kid fucking lets out and yeah just, it's, it's pretty it's a pretty right, cool crohn's record disease. remember that it's yeah dark. damn but um and what was the record called the glass gentleman? everything you ever wanted to know about silence and that did really well right is it, is it the first one it did yeah i mean it's it's i think the second one was like a little more polished but uh I, the second I, one too? I didn't play on that one no oh, okay but uh so don't listen to that listen to the first one <laughs> but the first one's you know really cool and uh did those kids come from the core they did so it was which was interesting is it sort of for me it opened up this whole other younger Long Island scene. So totally. I, ended up pl I played in the movie life for a tour. Oh, sure. I know that through that. Great and then band. I played in head automatica through that. And I did nightmare of you, mm. which was Brandon from the movie Brother. life. So like it, for me, it opened up this whole new younger crew. Long Island, right? Long Island. And they were all hardcore kids. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting time. I remember all those bands they were crushing. It. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. We, um, I love movie life. Shout out to Vinny, man. Great band, dude. He's great. So, yeah, just to plug some shit, right? That's what yeah. it's all about is I have a new band with Vinny coming out. Oh, shit. Um, hopefully in a few months, like maybe like an early summer oh, wow. situation. But it's he's called, still in Long Island? He's in Long Island. He's playing in the movie life, um, and he does a solo thing. He's yeah. got another thing. He's he's active. So you have something coming out with him? Yeah, it's called Constant Elevation. Constant Elevation. Yeah. 
Some of the Rakim shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm psyched. So he uh he's it's just like a, an EP that he sang on and um yeah, it's gonna be cool. So how how long after that, Head Automatic and all that, um, how did the Limp Biscuit thing happen? So that all comes back to Ross. Okay. So Ross was like, you know, we stayed in touch with friends. He'd, every time he'd come to New York, we'd hang out. Um, and he, yeah, like he produced, like me and Beck from Glassjaw did a weird song together that Ross produced with Steve Evitz. But anyway, I was out, I was out in California. My wife's old roommate, the manager dude, was managing a band called Static Lullaby. I heard that name, yeah. And they were like kind of that screamo sort of world. Yeah. And they needed a drummer for a record, so I came out to California to do it like as a session thing. Yeah. I think it was Lou Giordano was the producer. Okay. And, you know, that kind of vibe. Cool record. Really weird, like screamy, screamo <laughs> kind of shit. But I, I listened to it recently. Like, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> anyway, I was out in California. Russ was like, yo, he's like, what do you think about the LB? I was like, what's the LB? He's like, Limp Bizkit. That's like, be. Hmm. like, you know, and what's Shout interesting about, yeah. yeah, totally, man. Um, but like life throws some weird shit at you. Like you never yeah. know. And again, like I'm down for the experience Yeah. because you don't know what the fuck's going to come of it. And like, I've, you know, as long as people are cool and nice, like I'm, I'm, you know, I can, I'm down to kind of go down that road a little yeah. bit. So we, um, kind of tried out with him and you know, he's great. I love Fred. He's just like, what year was that? Uh, that's a good question. 2000 yeah let's call it like 2000 i have no idea 2005 okay <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah something like that yeah went up to the site in um northern california where pearl jam recorded 10 like fucking Damn. dope studio the Fuck. biscuit kind of funds had a chef had like two drum sets set up you know any kind of drum That's i the wanted next level from the last it thing, was a yeah. lot of fun and we started um we wrote a song a day and the music was really banging and then, you know, it kind of got a little hectic. The old drummer came back, the old drummer left, oh, then Fred shit. had to film like a movie in Europe and did vocals there and then had a different producer for a minute and it just kind of got all crazy. Anyway, it, it turned into this EP called The Unquestionable Truth Part 1. Okay, I think I remember that. Okay. I don't think Part 2 or 3 ever came out, but Part 1 is out there. Yeah. Check it out, folks. Holy shit. And, uh, but, you know, it was, that was a wild experience. I mean, one yeah. day I was like, in, I remember he grabbed me, he's like, he's like, yo, Welcome to the LB, brother. And I was in the band. <laughs> really? Oh, and that was shit. sick. But I think the next day I was out. <laughs> and then I might have been in and out again. But, you know, those guys had a lot going on. They, they have a, a, you know, in a great, in a, like they had, the, it's family with, with yeah. John and those, and those dudes. And it's crazy because people would know about Fred. Like, I'm going to have him on the pod for sure. But he, yeah. he has exploited tattoo. Like, he knows about everything. Like, totally. The hardcore. He knows about all that no, shit. No, we were talking about seaweed a lot. And uh, I was, he's impressive, man. Like, he was in the film, getting into into film. And, yeah. And just the fact that he, like, signed Puddle of Mud and then, I didn't know that. You know, the success of Limp Biscuit and, like, Stained. You know what I mean? Like, when you're doing uh, music, uh, just to get a fucking bass hit, you know, or a double, like, that dude was just crushing it. You're like, right, he was. Which man. is not easy shit to do. Super chill. Yeah, I like him a lot. I think, you know, him and, and Wes and I hit it off and all those dudes are really cool. I think he's the one like rock star person that people got the wrong idea about because what whatever whatever it was back then or maybe his his videos or I don't mm -hmm. know, but he's like so like I met him like I've known him for a couple of years now, just do tall and like so nice and sweet and humble. Yes. Just at my house, gave my son a bunch of like um pads for his room. Just at my house for Christmas, just like it's a sweet dude, man. He's a good it's dude for sure. Dude. But you, see, you put these people up there and you, you think you're one way and then you actually get to work with them, meet them, they're totally different. Let's think of the time when they came out with the Nookie, it was like yeah. so in your face. Like Dude. it just forced you to take a, like a position. Like you're either going to be a fan or you're going to, you know, not. It was in your face every day. And so I, yeah, it. all the time. So, but the Method Man video was crazy when they did that back then. Yeah, no, they, they went for it, man. Like they, I think 
it's interesting, even just watching that Queen documentary the other night, Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody, it's like, Great. he's like, we're going to write a disco song. You know, another one bites the dust. We're going to write a fucking, yeah. like an anthem. And just like that, being able to flip it, I think what's, I, you know, kind of like, I love hardcore. It's fucking the shit. Me too. It's and amazing. I know, I know exactly but it puts you in a place where like, it's really hard to take chances, 100%. to take risks, you know, because people immediately want to just fucking shoot 100%. it down. You know, so 100%. it's like, it's not really a forum to be like, I'm going to write a ballad. I'm going to write a fucking mm-hmm. hip hop song. I'm yeah. going to do spoken word. I'm yeah. going to do this or that, you know, like, so you have to get out of those bands to do something like how rich you went from underdog into another. Right. Then went to Civ. even though you're the same people, that's a, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Like when we went to MCA and our record was more, we had Matt Wallace and we did mm-hmm. a rumbo studios. It was more polished. Obviously I have regrets for that record. Cause I didn't, I talked about that already, but besides that, like you, you try to take chances and do something different because you, people think like you're in a hardcore band. Like, you listen to demos in your car when you're driving kids to school. Yeah. You listen to hardcore. They always hit me up all the time. Which, uh, what's the scene like now? What's your favorite band? Like, Yo, I'm 48 years old. Bro. Mm-hmm. I lived all that. It was, it's part. It's, I'm always gonna be a hardcore kid, but I fucking listen to Coldplay. Every I, I listen to other shit. Like yeah, I remember talking to some kid. I think from Germany uh, when Can't Wait Minute More came out. We got a lot of heat from that. And he was just mm-hmm. like, he's like, I like the EP. The the uh, Etu Brut is very good, but the other song is so sellout. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just like all that's right. a perfect. Perfect, like European yeah. review, like, like shit. All right, it's so honest and blunt with you, but it's like, fuck, yeah, man. Yeah. It's like, but I, honestly, I mean, you, what I, what I want for all my friends, and I've seen, you've had, we've all had tasted, we all, we all actually done music for a long time. Is like, you want your friends to succeed, you want your friends to sell records and do good. It's, mm-hmm. I understand, I understand, like hardcore kids only want you for themselves, and the minute like more than ten people in, in the basement don't like you, then you're not cool anymore. Like you're a sellout. Yeah. But it's cool. I think the people that took the chances or yeah. take chances in life, you look at Zach with rage. Dude. You know, that was uh crazy. A kind of a, a risky thing. You're gonna do like this hip hop, you're rapping now. Like what do you you know what I mean? Like what the fuck is this? Yeah. But obviously it worked and you know oh my God. Yeah, I mean, to another is a great point. Really cool shit and, Quick and the thing quicksand. Sib, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's crazy, man, how how that all worked out for everybody and how like Shit, when Quicksand came out, that was that was a whole other thing, man. It was it was crazy, man. Another weird one, which came from Ross, and which is definitely uh, just like taking a left, another left That's turn. Okay. But was uh, this podcast just we just talk? It's but awesome. we called me he, uh, with Tech Nine. He said, "Hey, do you want to do a Tech Nine oh, record?" Shit. And West Borland played on that. That's not your Wikipedia page. Yeah, there okay. you go. Gotta get. Let's, <laughs> let's fix that. <laughs> Um, but that was just like a higher gun session thing, but it was really, you got to check out the song called The Hiccup okay. by Tech 9 off the Ross Robinson therapy sessions. Okay. Very odd. I was working weird with him. That dude's super smart, dude. Yeah, he was really smart. And it, it kind of reminded me of Hardcore when I was talking to him and his manager about their label and they have like a building in, I don't know where they live, like Kansas or something. They have a building and they make their own merch out of this building. I heard about that. Super and DIY. They, they sign other bands to their label. And then when they go on tour, they take the other bands out that are on the label. Then if you dude. open the CD, like each each little folder page uh, showcases the other bands. It reminds me a lot of like what we were doing at Rev. Yeah. And, you know, taking all of our bands out and just sort of sticking together and doing it. So it was, um, he was that, an interesting guy. That's super punk DIY style. Mm-hmm. Same with Insane Clown Posse. I heard they make their own merch, their own labels, take their own bands out. Yep. It's crazy. He had a Jason mask and then like some sort of lady friend that he met in Las Vegas with him and it was pretty psychedelic. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's super political too. Yeah. And super smart, but it's like he's not a dude on the radio. Mm-hmm. He's not a dude in television, but he's like completely successful. Is he respected in like the hip hop community? 100%. Yeah, that's amazing. Hundred percent. He can rap. He's good. Yeah, for pe- sure. people love him. Any other hip hop stuff you worked on? Um, I guess, I, I it's funny. Things. I have a weird memory 
and I don't know if it happened or not. I just I was just <laughs> thinking about this the other day. That me and the bass player for Thirty Two Tribes played on a PM Dawn song. No way. It might be true. It might not be. I don't know. I'm just that, put, that, I'm just putting believe, that out there. I'll believe that actually. I'm just putting that out there. I think that might have happened. I can see you playing break beats and all kinds of hip hop shit too. Yeah. Because you always loved hip hop. Yeah. We always loved hip hop. Totally. Even back then, like even it was just around you so much, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you never went in a hip hop group. I should. I'm <laughs> You might do it now. <laughs> Tech Nine was my hip hop group. Yeah. Listen to Hiccup, dude. That's my hip hop song. But I can see you playing like with shit. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Like Daryl from the Bad Brains, he was playing with Most Def and shit. That's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, I feel like those opportunities aren't around as much, or maybe they are. Um, just things are so programmed right now. You know, I with, know. With, uh, but maybe not. I feel like R&B is sort of making a comeback. But hip-hop, yeah. I don't know what if I ever did any other hip hop. No, I don't think so. So, then, so when did you become a dad? Uh, nine years ago. So okay, yeah, it's amazing becoming a dad. It's pretty crazy. Puts life in a whole new perspective. Everything yep. you know. Yep. Um. Yeah, my daughter's super cool. We moved out to LA two years ago. Yeah. Um. You know, she. You know, I got a job. I took a job because I was sort of of just like part panic, part just like. Oh yeah, that's my question. Let's yeah. go back. Were you not working? Were you like in it? Would you work for your own family business? No. So like I, I mean, I had many of like job jobs, like worked at Lucky Strike as a busboy for a minute, worked at Dean DeLuca for a minute. Dean DeLuca. At, you know, worked construction for a bit for this like, that was actually really fun. Like we used to just take, break down the walls. We used to like, uh, <laughs> no point you know, get a Sawzall and a dust mask and some goggles and, and just yeah. get into it. But, uh, you know, lots of different jobs. And then when I started playing, like in the Civ sort of high school or no, post high school, like college stuff, I started um, just random hustles. Like I, my wife introduced me to a guy, Tommy Hilfiger. I DJed some of their parties. They loved it. Next thing you know, like... Just a guy named Tommy Hilfiger, yeah. I got, no, a guy from Tommy. Oh, okay. He grew up with Tommy. <laughs> but I ended up like curating all the music for their stores and doing a lot of their events. Dope. And that And doing some music for fashion shows. And then yeah. like Ian Love and I started uh, scoring some shit for commercials. My brother-in-law has a production company and started throwing me some work to a scoring, like writing jingles. Oh, shit. So just like various hustles. But... uh a really old friend of mine was in LA and he worked for a, a, an ad agency that did a music program and was just like, Hey, if you move to LA, we can, we'll hire you. And so I was like, cool, let's do that. Thinking it would just be for two years. And yeah, we just actually like left a bunch of shit in storage in New York and, um, and moved out to LA and then somehow it's still been, I've been out here for like seven years. That's amazing. So yeah. did, you, did, you, did you ever have a plan B? Were you ever worried about the future? Yeah. I mean, I'm still worried about the future, yeah, I'm too. you know, like, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You got to trust yourself at a certain point. And like, yeah. there's a, there's a hustle element. I think that I just have instilled in me from like just being a fucking musician. And like, yeah. you just, you just have to, like you have to be, you know, we had a record label for a while to go back. That's right. Um, Walter and Matt Pincus and I'm our boy, Craig. Um, what was know, it called again? Li- it was called some, some records. Some records yeah. 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 And we put out like, we did a hot water music record, no division. Sick. And we did air type 11 and the band called the exit. And we did, uh, we did spirit, yeah, Earl Greyhound. This guy Eric Bingus is Charles Bingus's son. It's funny, oh, Walter wow. and I, Walter and I joke about this label because we started this label because <laughs> and we wanted to like we wanted to just, you know, throw some curveballs and do some like kind of step away from traditional hardcore and totally. that kind of scene and do some out there shit. So yeah. like, so we did uh, you know, Eric Bingus and and um yeah, some and six going on seven and some of this stuff. But we passed on Take him back Sunday. We passed on Thursday. We passed on Glassjaw. We passed on Grade. We passed on like all <laughs> these bands. Serious? Holy shit! Yeah, because um, because they just you know <laughs> there was like, they were coming from hardcore and we were just like I think we were just in a different mindset. Damn, that's crazy. I know. It's crazy. Holy shit, yep. man! Those are all big bands too. You never know. I mean, that's why I'm not an A&R guy. I guess now. <laughs> 
And then Walter was like signed to like that label for Island for so long. Yeah. Was some through Island? And uh, we were independent. We were through Caroline. Oh, okay. You know, but we definitely, um, yeah, it was, you know, we, we had some relationships there that those guys yeah. helped us out and stuff. And, uh, it was cool. It was a fun, like chapter. So, uh, yeah, I think Rob was got a great response. Rob was came out. Yeah. We did an EP on some with Jonah from yeah. one line drawing, but then, yeah, when rival schools as a band like that, uh, that did well. We did well in the UK. We had like two songs, Good Things and Use for Glue that charted in the UK. Oh, shit. And so we would go over there a lot. And, you know, the cool thing about the UK, it's like a little bit easier, at least at the time. You know, there's like the BBC is the radio station. Yeah. There's maybe like um, two magazines. You could go there and play five shows and you've basically, you know, covered the major markets. <laughs> yeah. So it was nice to just go over there. And yeah, we had that success. And Damn, that's crazy. So that was after Sib, obviously. Mm -hmm. That was cool too, because again, it's nice. It was great being with Cash and Ian and Walter, and then also being able to, you know, play some, you know, play some ballads and play some yeah. like some weirder shit, you know, and, yeah. and and just kind of like, you know, I think we, I think Rival Schools had a little bit more freedom. We weren't so kind of trapped in this sort of post-hardcore world where we were yeah. able to just like push it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think I guess Walter, you guys were like. The ones who like for like, I don't know, I don't want to say four or five. What are the words called? But like, post hardcore shit. Mm -hmm. You guys are part of that whole wave. Like mm -hmm. started that wave. You know, like it's pretty insane. Yeah, There's but so it's all you know. It's a natural progression. Looking back, it's a natural progression. Yeah, like you can't really. I mean, some people can play hardcore forever. It's cool, but like for us, yeah. it just sort of like, it just was like let's we did this for fucking we did youth today for you know three years and we did <laughs> you know. Say for five years. Right now, thinking three years is not long, but back then it felt so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they said it was around longer than that, but at least for my experience, it was like three years. And then, you know, Civ was like five years. And, you know, even Rival Schools, like that first record, we did uh, United by Fate and we toured on it. And, like, you know, as you know, like it takes time. You're writing the songs, you record it, it comes out. Yeah. Now you're touring on it. It's been like fucking three years. And so we broke up. We took a little hiatus yeah. for 10 years. And then we came back <laughs> and did Pedals. Fuck. But, you know, it's just, you get a little burnt out on things. And I think you just want to, you know, you want to keep moving i know walter did and, and i think we all kind of yeah. did but you experienced like sleeping on floors going in shitty vans mm -hmm. like barely barely surviving to like tour buses to like mtv buzzworthy it's crazy you did you did all levels of music i, I think, think it's interesting to bring it back to hardcore is that and i think all that shit's cool but the stuff that really you know the reason why 30 years later like i'm, I'm playing youth today show next week yeah i'm playing a judge show next week yeah because those bands really fucking connected yeah you know to 100%. The, to the point where like you know and, and the thing about like Siv's pop success is like those, you get those fans but they're here today they're gone tomorrow 100% you know and I think it's like the hardcore fans that, that stay with you throughout the whole thing and again yeah, that's why we just you know Judge just played in Medellin in Colombia and yeah. we were in like last November we went to Bangkok Manila Singapore saw that Jakarta and Tokyo it's crazy like, that was fucking nuts you know yeah and, crazy and was, flying too mm -hmm. right oh yeah Shit's fucking it was nuts. Gnarly, man. It was crazy. I mean, it, all those shows are great, and just thinking about that gave me anxiety. But yeah, people think it's super easy to, to like be in a band, but like what you just said is like gnarly early morning lobby calls, early flights, mm -hmm. different country every day. The shows are great, but just when you get older, the traveling is just. It's nice. I don't do it all the all the time. Yeah. So I when I do it now, I it's really yeah. I yeah. just like I'm like fuck it. I'm not gonna sleep for five days. Let's just rock. Let's see what happens. You know. Yeah, it's like a military mission. <clears throat> yeah. And so let's fast forward to 
Judge coming back, which was mm. uh, nobody, nobody ever thought that was going to happen. I remember being at the Super Bowl the year before, and it was oh, Mike Judge is here. I remember I was in the balcony with somebody, and Mike Judge rolled up, and he was watching Gorilla Biscuits on stage that night. Yep. And then fast forward to holy shit, Judge is back together after how many years? Oh shit! I think I want to say we broke up in like '90 or something. So when was that? Damn. 2015. That's crazy. So it's been a, it was a minute. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that was. You know, I think it's something that we talked about, and I know that like Siv was working on it, yeah. and um, and it just sort of happened. I mean, it was a process for sure. Like we we wanted to make it good, so we practiced a lot, and I just moved to California, so I was like flying back a lot for those yeah. rehearsals, and um. You know, we were trying to get the lineup tight and just really making it the way it should be. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there's this power from when bands disappear that they, you see with a lot of bands that have gotten back together, like they're just bigger than they were it's back then. Like and the scene got bigger. That, yeah, like yeah. back then we wouldn't, you know, a big show was 200, you know, 200 people. Like yeah, how Judge. Many, how many shows did Judge play think back then? Was it a lot? A couple of years? <laughs> Not not that much. I mean, yeah. when, I, when I compare stuff to like when I, when Civ and Rival Schools were playing, like we were touring six seven months out of the year yeah grind so judge and youth today like those bands were you know i don't know like 20 shows a year yeah something like that yeah so um the judge yeah that was just like and had, had anybody talked to him in all those years he was really off the grid man. off the grid i yeah. respect that that's pretty amazing man yeah it's just you know yeah he just kind of checked out he was getting into his, his own shit and yeah you know, so we did that me and my friend seth did that movie on Mike, it's great. Which so good with Trevor, yeah. Yeah, check that out. That's a cool one. And it's um, really good. That's on. Uh, that's on Vice. It's on Vice. It's on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. It's called. What is it called? There will be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. That was incredible. Man, shout out to Trevor Simsler. Shout out to Trevor. That was really. That was a. That was amazing. Yeah. In depth look at Mike's life and everything because he's so private, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he's such a quiet, humble dude it's been cool playing with judge because mike checked out for all those years that we were doing you know quicksand and civ and all these other bands he kind of missed that so when yeah. we got back together uh we went over to berlin play so 36 like yeah. he had never i don't even know if he was on a plane ever like i might I'm, I'm, agree with that yeah yeah and like he had never been to europe so it was all just like new experiences i mean i played so 36 a bunch but he yeah. had like never been there and it's so cool just to watch him yeah, and to see him experience this shit, and he he loves it. And it's he's, like taking this guy from time travel to like the last show you guys played, maybe two hundred kids. Yep, and putting him in Berlin, like a thousand kids or something. It's like, it's crazy. No, he, yeah, he loves it because he he missed all that, and uh, yeah, he's a trip. It's great. I love um, it's it's a, you know it's a wild line. It's cool playing with that. Pink and I remember and, I remember he bugged out like when I forgot who was playing that show. Maybe breakdown and somebody's like, aren't those guys supposed to be headlining? Like he was kind of bugging. I remember that show sold out super fast. Right. Then they had a second show and he's like, holy shit! Like no, that was a that was a special weekend. You know, dude. I feel like I meet, when I meet kids who are like there specifically a Saturday, they're like, you know, I was I saw you guys at BMW like, you know, what night? Like Saturday. It's like that was fucking stuff he was saying before special. the songs and like mm -hmm. it was it was fucking man, it was surreal kind of like yeah. No, it's it's really cool, man. It's uh. Yeah, we'll see. And we talk about maybe doing the mu new music or I don't yeah. know, trying to figure that out. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a fun thing. Yeah, you guys are playing next week in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, some Grill Biscuits. And Youth of Today's playing again. Youth of Today's playing the night before in Austin, and then we're doing three shows in, in New York and Brooklyn. Oh, wow. That yeah. same weekend? Um, Yeah, it's all like it's five days in a row. Holy. Five-day hardcore rock block. Uh, Brooklyn Bazaar, St. Vitus, and the Market Hotel. 
I'm so you have to tape in all those shows, except the Dallas. Okay. One. Wow, man. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about World Be Free because yeah. I love World Be Free. Yeah, man. I was so proud of Scott and the way he pushed himself to sing differently. I love all the songs on there. It's yeah. Like, it's got this energy and this GB vibe to me. And I just like, how did that come about? It was, um, I think when I moved to LA, I feel like it was sort of like my LA. It just, you know, like when you move, you go through changes and stuff. Yeah. And, and it was just, <clears throat> I'd never played music with those dudes. And, um, wanting to do a band i wanted to do a hardcore band i'm trying to think of wow it really started i know that like scott and joe had a buffalo connection and they were talking totally. about doing something and totally i'm not exactly sure like the very beginning but something like that and then i reached out to arthur and unfortunately got him in on it that's right and um but we just worked and we just wrote these tunes and like we would you know meet every couple weeks and write like you know i'd come up with a song or joe would come up with a song andrew would yeah. come up with a song and like next you know we had a shitload of tunes Recorded them yeah. down with Davey Warsop down at uh, Hurley Studios. It's got like a oh, nice right. like, Neve console down there. Yeah. Tracked him. And then Scott like never really sang in rehearsal and he would kind of show up. And I, you know, I always knew Scott, but never that well. And so yeah. I'm just getting to know him more and more. Yeah. And then he fucking crushed it with the vocals. Dude. Like I remember going with him a few days when he was, or every day when he was recording. Yeah. Um, and uh, he just fucking brought it. He did. And it worked. It stepped and up. I like and I was a, like, that Ian McKay vibe to me on there too, man. Some yeah. of the vocals. Yeah, I feel like we were kind of saying to ourselves like, yeah, like GB, and then, but it kind of landed more minor threat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Will there be another record with him? I hope so. He got kind of injured when that record came That's out, right. so we didn't tour. And we did write a few songs. There's one that he really likes a lot, and we talk about it. And he's just in terror world. He's super, know, busy, he's as, super busy, as we all are. But he's like, nonstop. But he should. We should do a record. Yeah, it was sure. really cool. It was like like a fresher breath there. I didn't know what to expect. And mm-hmm. the name's after a basketball player, right? Yep, probably free. Who was he ball, from? Ball player, I think Cleveland. Okay, who who figured that out? Like who came up I with did. that? I did. I've always had that one in my back pocket. Like <laughs> just a cool name. Just You've world. Been in so many bands. Yeah, I'm so. just sitting on that one. Like we got to do a Beko World Be Free, dude. And then um, I think it works. So oh, good. I also had the School of Rock kind of vibe. Like I'm um, the. Is that the show? From Saturday mornings? School of Rock, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah the, the local lo- company? No, no, no. Right. Okay. School of Rock. So that was like, I was like, let's do something like that, like animated. Yeah. And then we got um, Andrew's boy, super nice. I'm spacing his name, but he's super cool. He did all the art. Yeah. Great. Dude. But, uh, um, yeah, the artwork is great. I yeah. That. I mean, it's the whole thing. The yeah, it was really refreshing. Everything. It yeah. just sucks that we didn't get to play more. But yeah. we did a fun video. I had my... um. I had this, my lion outfit in the video, which oh, is right, cool. Right. <laughs> I've been a lion for the past five years. Like I always sucked at Halloween. I was mm. always like a last minute, like, all right, let me just get this mask over here. Yeah. And this place on Grinch Avenue and, <laughs> you know, for like a buck. And when I started, when I moved out here and I started working, like, I guess the team did a, a, a shoot one day and they yeah. had this like badass fucking lion outfit. And the producer, she's like, hey, do you want this? We're just going to like throw it out. I was like, yeah, let me get it. It's a full piece lion suit. Sick. So for the past five years, I've been a lion and in that world be free. <laughs> video i'm a lion <laughs> that's awesome yeah what about um do you feel like a lot of the um the values you got as a kid being in hardcore and stuff all that shit you keep in your everyday life as an adult and like mm-hmm. being a parent and a husband mm-hmm. and shit for sure it's i amazing. mean I, yeah i drank a little too much wine last night but aside from that <laughs> not all the values yeah um when did you stop being straight is it what years was it i had a damn good run i maybe i rocked the x watch for a while too though yeah, you, I rocked you OGs. it. You OGs. I sold it to that. Mike Dubin, mine, unfortunately. The original ones. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I was like... Did it become something like you weren't feeling anymore? Or? It just, like, 
it, it was a natural yeah, progression. kind of progression. I think. Yeah. I think some of my tight friends were not, and you know, I was probably I don't know, like early twenties or something like that. And yeah. again, like with the scene kind of dying and us sort of separating, and now yeah. it's been thirty two tribes and. You know, just sort of like... Had you tried... You tried stuff before that? Yeah, so when I was younger, I was like, me and Matt Pincus were 10 years old and like, let's smoke cigarettes and like, let's try pot. And then I remember like at age 11, going to meet my dad on a Friday to get in his car to go drive out to like Long Island. And I ran into my friend Stosh in Washington Square Park. And he's like, I was like, what are you on? He's like, he's on a a thing called a rainbow. Okay. And I was like, well, what is it? He's like, it's like pot, but it's stronger. So I gave him a dollar. He gave me this rainbow, which was a tab of acid. I took it and I, you know, walked around for about half an hour. Nothing happened. And then I next, you know, I'm fucking tripping and I go to meet my dad and we get in this car and I'm like in tears. Matt Pincus was with me. My sister was with me and uh, it sucked. But, you know, to be honest, it was like a scared straight moment Yeah. because I fucking hated it. And anytime I tried to smoke weed after that, I would get really paranoid. Mm. And then fortunately, I right around then is when I met, um, you know, a lot of the guys in Side by Side and Youth of Today. Yeah. And, uh. And, you know, just got into the whole straight edge thing. It was like yeah. a no-brainer. No it's like, let's do it. Damn, that's crazy, yeah. man. Take but 100%, shot. I mean, all those, you know, I'm a dad now and my daughter's yeah. nine. And it's like, you know, you just, I'd love, you know, it'd be great if she found a crew like I had. Yeah. You know, tribe, like these yeah. dudes that were just like big brothers that were really, you know, people ask like, oh my God, like how are your parents letting you go on tour and doing this? It's like, they were all good people. You know, and Your parents and are really supportive too. That's yeah, amazing. We were straight edge. We didn't do drugs. We didn't drink. We're you fucking were all vegetarian. They knew, they knew you were safe. Yeah. And like as my mom said, she's like, Look, you know, you could get in more trouble being on the football team, you know, with some fucking school bus driver who knows like yeah. you know, who knows what's going on. Yeah. Um and we had Steve Reddy, he was our school bus driver. And he dude, he was uh, he's a warrior too, man. Yeah. That's in the whole other story. But totally. So your parents came out and saw you in those bands? They came out my um yes, like so it was interesting to go, to go back to like the more eleven uh, year old drug days yeah. of going to the old Ritz and seeing like the Dead Kennedys and the Circle Jerks. And yeah. my sister would take me, and I think my dad maybe took me once or twice. But then when I played in Gorilla Biscuits, I think it was the, we played the Right Track game, but I think we also played CBs one show. And I remember mm-hmm. my mom or dad having to take me there. My dad would take me to CBs a lot, so because cool, Karen man. would bust, you know, she wouldn't let you in. You have a fake ID, and yeah. she would question you and. Ask, ask you what your astrological sign was. and <laughs> Even though you were playing there, too. That's great. Yeah. You're underage playing there. That's right. Yeah, it was like, you know, 13, 14, 15 playing, and you had to be 16 and over, and she was really strict about it. Wow. So they would take me, and then uh, in that 1988, went on a lone tour. My dad flew out, I think, to California to visit, like, Midway. Holy shit. So I got to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He saw, I mean, my grandfather came to see us play the Cameo Theater in Miami in 1988, 89. Dude. Which was crazy, and you, and, you, and, that, and you got Youth of Tate was really big, man. Like Purcell was saying, how big it was back then. Like when the, with after break out the break down the walls, and then when it was, mm-hmm. was just like like a lot of kids a night. It was like a th- some was, of the shows were were big for sure. I mean, even going to Europe, I remember playing like some airport hangar in Milan in '89, and it was fucking big. I mean, it was that Europe tour was interesting because yeah, I mean there was kids that were in Youth Today for sure, but the poster was Ray with a shaved head screaming into a microphone. It was like almost, it was the Can't Close My Eyes cover. Mm-hmm. And it just said New York hardcore. Yeah. And so kids just would come because they were like, this fucking dude's got a shaved head. He's screaming and it says New York hardcore. I'm going. Yeah. And so we would get, you know, especially like in the East, like in Yugoslavia and in Czech Republic and stuff, we would get um, crazy fucking turnouts, crazy kids. And did you think that you guys were like, you feel like you guys are onto something then? It was just this, like, holy shit, was this a movement? I mean, not moving. This is like, 
there's so many more people connecting. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. In that moment, you really think about it, I guess. It's I'm think I'm be curious as to what like Kappa would say, you know, because yeah, he was sort of on. older and kind of the leader. And yeah. again, like the age difference was pretty, pretty How big. How much older was he than you? Um, he's what? He's like 67 now? No. Chill. Uh, <laughs> he's like 52, maybe 52. Right. I'm 45. So okay. seven years older. That's crazy. So if I was 12, he was 19. Yeah. But so, so yeah, there's a big difference. Right. Yeah, man. So as far as like feeling what the, the, you know, I think there, his perspective was probably a little bit different. Um, yeah. You know, again, I was just like, let's roll. These dudes are like, Purcell's my best friend and yeah. we're rocking. Like we're fucking going. I can't feel how young you were on tour. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. You're like up there with Freddie because Freddie was on tour. He was like nine years old, but like, mm -hmm. it's crazy. Probably the second youngest kid in the scene. Maybe Todd Youth was young too. I heard also. Yeah. When he came around. But to have open-minded parents back then just to let you tour and play music, it's fucking pretty awesome. I remember like it went, it was again, all of it was very gradual, so it made sense. So like I remember I think side-by-side side going to Buffalo or D.C. or something, and my mom gave me like $100. That's a and lot she was then. like, call me, collect as soon as you go. Here's 100 bucks if you have to get on a bus. Like, da-da-da-da, like, call me when you're fucking doing this, call me when you're doing that, call me when you're doing this. And then about a month later, it just gradually went into like, What's up, mom? I'm in uh, Pennsylvania. Like, what's up, mom? I'm in, you know, yeah. here. And like just these weekend jaunts. You know, playing um, the tr what, what was that one place like uh, Club Pizzazz in Philadelphia, or yeah. just like you know, just it happened really gradual. And then there was that week tour of playing Fenders in '87 yeah. with Youth of Today, and that was like Crazy. a week flying. And then it turned into that '88 We're Not Alone tour, '89 yeah. Europe, you know, '90 uh, Judge, I think around around the U.S. And I was playing a bold that tour as well, and like it just happened real gradual, so nonstop, man. Yeah. Fuck, do you remember Ian coming to your show, Youth of Today show? Um, Club? You know, I didn't really have, I didn't have many interactions with Ian. I remember seeing him one time, like in front of MAD in Berlin, or maybe oh, like, wow. yeah, we just ran into each other. Random. I remember talking to him there. Um, but, you know, I was always uh, a big Mind Threat fan, obviously. Yeah, huge. Embrace. Pagazi. You know, all that shit. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. so amazing. And um, for you guys, you guys kind of, carried the torch after Minor Threat obviously they've been broken up for like I don't know 10 years maybe or something mm -hmm. but he took it to a different level and uh, I'm sure I, I want, I'm actually gonna I wanna talk to him about that and just see like what his vibe was on that because it wasn't I've heard I, you know I've heard rumblings of like I don't know like and I, yeah, I'd be curious too to ask him like just of uh, you know his views at that time like something it's always different when people i think take your stuff and run with it so like the stuff yeah. that was happening in the mid 90s right yeah like earth crisis snapcase yeah. um all that kind of stuff like super cool it was just yeah. different it was hard for me to be attached to that sh stuff because like i wasn't it was just different than my crew and my interpretation yeah Do you know what i mean so i think i'm sure ian and His those people that were before us yeah. probably saw this stuff as familiar but also kind of different and maybe there's things about it that they you know, didn't dig or they did. Good point, man. You know, but that, uh, cause after judge, it got totally different. It got more extreme. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just interesting. Like, you know, you're like, I never got into turning point, you know, mm -hmm. when I was doing world be free and talking to Scott and those dudes, and it's like, name your top five hardcore bands, like turning points, number one or something. It's like, really? Like I, yeah, I just missed the boat on those dudes. Me too. Um, so I think it just depends on when you got it. And I think it's interesting too, when you look at some of these, or listen to some of these records, you know, Gorilla Biscuit Start Today is a great sounding record. You can listen to it now. It's a great sounding record. Yeah. Judge Bring It Down is pretty good too because the production I think yeah. is there. But Youth of Today, I think is a band that you kind of had to see. Live. 
It's see it live. It's a tricky record just to put on Werner Salon. Uh, it's yeah. kind of a fucking train wreck. I, I, I agree. But live is insane. Live but live, insane. like if you were there and you saw it, yeah. it's it's a no-brainer. I feel like that about um, Underdog Vanishing Point. It, the, the production was really... Yeah. But the but live was amazing. And I, I know. love all those songs. Like, I know. Those songs were great. That's like... Yeah. I mean, yeah, that would... like I think that... Like I loved Underdog so much. Me too, man. And I think if those songs were recorded, yeah, you know, in a, in a better way, definitely went on Salona as, as well. Yeah, um, it was so powerful lyrically, and then the video. Did that video do anything? I know Priscilla said the MTV wanted to play it, only if you guys blocked out the slaughtering, but you guys refused to do it. I'll go with that story. It's pretty cool. I like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we told them fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> fuck like, did you. it get Did it get played anyway? There's no YouTube back then. It had to get played somewhere. Yeah. Who fucking knows. Night flight. Night flight. Yeah. Night flight. Suburbia, another state of mind. Mm-hmm. That was a shit. Wow. That's crazy, man. Mm-hmm. That's uh, just, I don't know, your catalog, just looking at your catalog and all the stuff you've done and diversity of it, it's pretty amazing, man. Starting Craziness. at a really young age, man. Played, um, was walking down the street. I lived on McDougal Street, and um, this kid I went to school with, which still kind of baffles me a little bit, but he was younger than me, and he was dating Patti Smith. Oh, And shit. I would run into them together a lot because they lived on McDougal Street. Yeah. And one day, he's just like, he's like, hey, man. He's like, um... He's like, we have a show coming up and our drummer's just like out of the country or something. Like, do you want to play drums with Patti Smith? I was like, sure. Let's Holy fucking do shit. it. So we rehearsed and like, you know, growing up in New York, like I thought I knew every fucking rehearsal studio there was. And of course, Patti Smith has some secret like ninja spot down Soho, like some secret door on Worcester Street. You go in, wow. it's a gorgeous fucking studio. Yeah. And we went there and um, rehearsed and we played a show. It was at Washington Irving High School, actually. It was like a benefit. Okay. And we played. I, th- I think I sucked. I was like, wait. I was playing it like a hardcore drummer. I played way too heavy, and <laughs> I was too excited, and nervous, and yeah. But it was a fun experience, you know. Again, like going yeah. back to like just being up for anything. Anything. Did you have a favorite? What's your favorite drummers back then or now? I mean, I, I think Stuart Copeland was my dude because yeah. he just was. He always pushed the beat. He's playing on top of the beat, and he also had this kind of reggae influence. And yeah, you know. Uh, you know, he was great. My dad took me to see Elvin Jones to see Art Blakey, some jazz dudes. But, you know, in, in regards to, like, hardcore, you know, I think, like, the, like Mackie and Petey Hines and these dudes were sort of older to me. They were, like, in a different league. Yeah. And they were, you know, great. And that dude, whoever yeah. played on that first Leeway record is, I think it was some Brazilian guy, supposedly, is a oh, fucking badass. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. Badass. Okay. Um, so. Just, wow. Yeah. Did you have any top, what's your t- top five punk bands that inspired you at all? I don't know. I mean, you know, Sex Pistols, The Clash. Yeah. To go back to that kind of stuff. Like, sure, um, me too. I was the really Ramones? into the Exploited. Yeah, definitely the Ramones. Exploited, huh? Yeah, I, mean, I guess <laughs> they were really inspiring, but I just was like I, into them. Um, yeah, the imagery was cool too. Like, But yeah, Minor Threat, Seven Seconds. and um, Yeah, dude. But the fucking Clash are great. Yeah. And the Ramones, yes, definitely. Did you guys play any shows with uh, Minor Threat back then? It was, uh, no, it was after my back. Seven yeah. Seconds, though, for sure. Obviously, those. I was telling this dude last night, actually, about The Clash is... um when I was going to VCS village community school that my friend who's a huge clash fan gave, had a ticket and he was like, do you want to go see the clash? In the who? No way. And I did not go. I don't know why I didn't. Damn. I, I wasn't allowed. I mean, I was like 10. Holy shit. But shit, that's a woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. Priscilla told me that one of the shows, the first time they played Reno, that Kevin seconds played drums for youth today. Yeah. It makes sense. It's crazy. Did you ever know that you hear the story of Steve Reddy singing for youth today and, no. and Ray playing bass? No, where was that? And someone yelled, let the bass player sing. Um, <laughs> we were on tour in, in 88, and uh, at least we were in Walla Walla, Washington. Went cliff diving with these kids. Dope. I didn't have chicken out, but those guys did. 
And then uh, this dude had a huge fucking half pipe in his backyard. Oh, like, sick. Sick fucking half pipe. And, you know, again, I grew up as like a street skater dude, but Ray and Purcell were vert guys. So they were no dro- they way. dropped in, you know, because they had wow. run some Westchester shit. And then it was about me and Walter, who's going to drop in? And those dudes had a way of like manipulating, like, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? <laughs> who's going to do it? And it was getting heated. And Walter went up to the top and fucking dropped in. And he did it shit. and he fell. He was, they said, you got to go up again. You got to do it right now. You got to, well, it's still like fresh in. You got to go. Runs back up. Fucking does it. <coughs> Cracks his ankle. Oh, shit. Cracks his ankle. He's in Walla Walla, Washington. And he had a purple mohawk. I don't know why Damn. he had a purple mohawk. I don't know if he had the purple mohawk then or if he just did it after he broke his ankle. But he was stuck there for about two weeks. Two weeks? We can, and then he flew back to New York. And we continued the tour with Luke, who was roading for us okay. on base. But the for the next show that we played, you know, which was Seattle or Spokane or somewhere yeah. around there, Steve Reddy sang and Capo played bass. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Why did he say for two weeks? Just for like Because he ankle. couldn't like fly or something. Interesting. You know? Yeah. No phones back then. That must, that's, that's scary thinking about getting stuck someplace. Yeah. So there's a photo of him on crutches, right? With Kevin Egan in front of CBs. You ever see the photo? I saw it the other May, day. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's from that. Fuck, that's crazy, man. Yeah. Damn, any other crazy lineups on that? Any other crazy stories on those tours? Tons of crazy stories. Um, people, people fuck with you. Was there violence against youth today? You just want to hear violent stories, don't no. you? What's more? Was there anything crazy? You want to hear the big fight story? The f- sure. My fight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This day was this was a crazy day. Like I think there could be a documentary or whatever, a podcast series on this one day. Okay. Let's do it next. <laughs> uh we were in Belgium and it was nineteen eighty nine and maybe it was my birthday. Yeah. Possibly. March twenty first, because I feel like there's a photo of me on Birthday's that stage. Coming up. It's coming up. Oh shit, you're rapping for it. Same birthday. Let's do it. get the fuck out of mm-hmm. here. That's crazy. Yeah, twenty first. Okay. Let's hang out. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um and we played two shows in one day because yep. we had this promoter that was ripping us off and just was like fucking pimping us out and like played two shows in one day. Okay. Austin Lethal Aggression. Sick. Afternoon show. We roll into this town somewhere in Belgium and there's all these fucking straight edge kids. I don't know what, where they got it from, but they were like the one nook back in 1989 that was hip to straight edge. Gotcha. And they fucking were on board and they got it and they were happening except for these four metalheads that were in the audience throwing beers at us while we we're playing. Damn. And so... You know, we stopped mid-song. You know, Capo's like, who, you know, who did that? I think he jumped in the audience, got into like a little scuffle with these dudes or whatever, got back up on yeah, stage. He wasn't scared of that shit. Yeah. No. And Purcell had a broken ankle because... He dropped in somewhere else. Kids no. threw confetti on the very first show of the tour and he slipped and broke his ankle. Oh, that's the one venue allows you confetti at the show. Yes. Okay. And that was the first day of tour, Coney Island, Leipzig, and yep. he broke his ankle for the rest of the tour. So he's in a cast. We continue playing. The show's great. This is the show number one of two day, of two in one day. And then Capo goes to the back to get some juice or water or something like that. And these four metalhead dudes surround him. They're like, so you're straight edge. And they just pour a beer on his head. He no flips out, way. grabs these dudes. They're fighting like a cartoon. Like it's like a ball of like dust is flying up. And they come rolling back to the venue where like I'm packing my drums up. And then I grow, oh. I have my varsity jacket and I run up to this one dude and I fucking put it over his head and I just run with him. <laughs> and then, you know, and I was like teeny. That's and so Purcell's jumping off with his fucking cast on his ankle. Oh, we had a crazy uh, tour manager, this guy, Sid. Okay. Of Sid and Lorelei. It sounds scary. Sid, and he yeah. was Italian. He was in Cheetah Chrome Motherfuckers. Oh, shit. And he came in and kind of cleared shit out a little bit and, and got her back. And, and uh, Wow. So that's, you know, I'm sure other hardcore bands have better violent stories. Put but a jacket over his head and pull him out. That's my move. Escorted um, <laughs> him out of there. But then, so then like crazy, that was a wild first show. Let's go to the second show. Second show must have been in Belgium as well. And this one was not that many people there. It's at night. 
and it's filled with grown men with 100% white tattooed on their neck, swastikas, no way, full dude. fucking Nazis. And, you know, we played and our our tour manager dude was just like, we need to get the fuck out of here. This is dangerous. Like this dude has a gun, blah, 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 blah. And we have a song called Prejudice. Yeah. And Capo's like, this goes out to all you racist motherfuckers. This is called Prejudice. Like right in their fucking faces. I love him, And dude. we play and we fucking got back in our little van and cruised away. Holy shit. But that was just a hectic day, man. What was that again? Belgium, you said? It was a Belgium. I'm going to go with yeah, maybe, Belgium. Maybe they understand like, like prejudice what that meant, maybe. Hopefully. Obviously it didn't because that's fucking crazy. Yeah. But I would feel like people were trying to maybe test you guys back then, obviously because it was straight edge and you guys seemed yeah. happy. and Especially not. in Europe. I mean, I'm, I'm, or I'm sure you today before I was in the band, like Breaking the Walls tour was probably gnarly. I mean, yeah. I went on Salone going down south and playing yeah. in Florida and you know, you're, Nazis, skinheads yeah. coming. Like people trying to put meat on your cars. I heard stories about that. Yeah, and they never. I heard that. I heard about somebody wearing a fur coat stage diving somewhere. Or, oh, that was during Earth Crisis. I would something. always play in a fur hat. You did? No. Like, <laughs> like a like a David Crockett. Like Mackie rocked in the. Yeah, first he did Asian actually. Coral. That's a good look. That was some b boy shit. We though. should bring that shit back. That, that was b boy, right? It was. That's be faux. Yes. A faux raccoon hat. Yes. That was the style back then. I loved all. The, I loved the New York style. All that, like the hip hop into the hardcore, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Bruno and all those dudes, like with the sneakers. I call them sneaker skins. And mm-hmm. I guess Craig. I'm gonna talk to Craig this week. Craig ahead. He's the first guy to wear sneakers on stage because everybody wore boots. Yeah, and it was definitely those those cultures were were you know blending like underdog. You know, Richie had a rap on "Say It to My Face." Oh, that's right. And then and reggae song. And he had years. a rap. He had a rap band, I think, with this one dude. I forgot the really? guy's name. Yeah. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. Yep. Richie was a badass too. I maybe worked at the Pyramid Club and yeah, he was like yoked and like everybody was in shape and mm-hmm. it was so cool that like it was everything you guys were into was opposite of what you know punk was gonna be. It's like fuck your parents and our kid in the UK, you know, fuck this, fuck the government. You guys, no, let's fix this. Let's save the planet. It was so, so that that's why I feel like separates punk and hardcore to me. I think for me, like at, at age 10, 11, getting the Exploited record, getting Dead Can or not Dead Kennedys, but like getting punk records and being into punk and like writing like anarchy equals peace on like a wall and like you know all this <laughs> shit like the reality was that you know i had a leather jacket and like writing these you know bands and, and like all those you know all that kind of shit of uh like destroy destroy yeah. fuck the world it just didn't really i was sort of doing it because i was 10 or 11 i was buying to this culture that just looked really cool yeah but when you stop there was not a lot of substance to it for me so yeah. when i met the dudes in gb and, and youth today and yeah. all that like it was it just made way more sense. Yeah. Like we're fucking preaching positive outlook, make a change, you know, it's so that's cool. cool. And yeah. I remember like being 14, I met, it was at actually in 88 on that tour. And I met someone who's just like, Hey, my brother died in a motorcycle accident and we buried him with your record with the run us alone. Damn. And I was, that's when I was like, fuck, this is really like hitting people in a different acting man way. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure back then you're in the moments, so you're not thinking about the impact, but Looking back now, just the like I don't think a lot of people were buried with the unquestionable truth part one. <laughs> Unfortunately, probably not. Yeah, it's but a cool like, record look, though. But, but looking back now, you imparted something so important, man. Mm-hmm. Like a huge legacy, everything you've been a part of. Like it's pretty awesome, man. You did a lot. You know what I mean? For this a young kid in New York, and it's cool. And your parents are so support supportive. That that's the key thing to this to me. Like how, how supportive your parents were. And they, you always have music around you. Mm-hmm. Dad plays drums. Yep, it's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. So now being now obviously being a parent now, if you're, you know, if our kids want to play music, it's like she takes piano. She's you know she's bored of it, but like Max takes it too. I tell him like, look, you know, I, like I wish that I was, 
uh, that I would, you know, that I'd know how to play piano. Yeah. Or I could play guitar better or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It keeps, makes you more versatile. And does she want to do music? She does. She actually had a recital today. That's where we were this morning. It's um, amazing, man. It was pissing me off though because it was just her and this drummer, this other little girl, and the drums were way off and they were fucking with her piano. Damn. And I was getting pissed and like the... Um, <laughs> off timing and shit. <laughs> I could do that better. Give me yeah. the six. That's crazy. Yeah. So the teacher, he's a little overextended. Uh, but uh, no, I support it. She takes guitar, she takes piano and um, she's into good music and you know we've always played her cool shit and yeah i think you go to some poppy concerts too because of her mm-hmm. i mean yeah i did the same thing for max you go to these guys i saw travis scott a couple weeks ago i was actually blown away max loves him yeah but they, they're opening my mind to the newer shit yes you yeah know? And that's like, like my my yeah i mean my job now is i'm working advertising and do you know music syncs and put songs and commercials and try and kind of be privy to that shit and it's hard to stay on top of the latest and greatest so i'm really depending on my daughter to keep me ah, hit you know interesting yeah so this she new- hit me to do a do a lipa an artist like a pop artist she just won a grammy for something yeah does she have tattoos though or no i don't know she might she's good i think max told me about them Billie eilish she's into so is this is this pretty much your first real job um benefits second second real job it's pretty amazing man it's wild you know it's uh it kind of reminds me of like high school in a way like when i would walk into that building for work but um because it's just people dynamics and shit but uh, yeah is it weird being Somebody who work, who been music your whole entire life, your own boss, your own everything, to go into like society because being in a band is not reality. Like, yeah, we play music. We're, we're grown ups. We have mortgages. We're parents. We have responsibilities. But it keeps you a big kid too. And like, I, I feel like touring is fantasy, and this is reality we're now. So then going into a real job at, at the age you're at, yeah, is that was it weird? Trans- it's it's tricky. It's a little weird for sure. And I definitely have moments where I'm just like, all right, fuck this. Like I'm going <laughs> to like let's book yeah. some judge shows or something, you yeah. know, but it, uh, it's awesome. You could do that too. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it is cool. I mean, it, it's just, it's also nice from being sort of freelance and just having to hustle my whole life as yeah. far as like, fuck, I really don't know when my next check is coming. Yeah. So to have a job and have that kind of stability is sort of nice. I just have to remind myself that like, it's, you know, that it's, a cool thing and like you know it'll run its course and you know, to be honest like i had this one job for about five years and i got let go with a bunch of people oh, okay and that's a wild feeling yeah getting let go cause, right yeah because i feel like i had more stability when i was sammy hustle freelancing <laughs> sammy hustle. because i always had a hustle yeah. but when you have your one fucking gig and you get let go or then you know whatever happens interesting then you're just like fuck okay what am yeah. I going to do? Like call up Tommy Hilfiger and start DJing or something. Yeah. But I was able actually through hardcore, um, this dude, Jason Peterson, he, who I met in, in 1988. Yeah. He was in a band called winds of change yeah. from, I knew that from Tempe, Arizona. That's awesome. And he got into advertising and, and he's had a, an agency called Havas and he brought me over there and, and, uh, and then he left the company actually, but and you didn't go to school for that. Did you? No, but it's interesting. Like when you think about marketing and like, hopefully doing cool marketing and like cool creative shit with brands and music is that's the hope is that like you market yourself you saw the whole time like with Civ, they were putting you know guitar picks and bags of doritos i mean that was kind of dumb but like you know vans warp tour like that was vans like we were rocking the kids were giving us they were at g-shock had a fucking booth it's true and some weird like you know it's all those sponsors that were involved in that and like you know and and these these bands that we're in like had their own identities they were you know like Rival schools had a logo and had a feeling. Civ had a logo and had That's a, a feeling. Good point, man. Youth Today had a there logo and feeling. H two O, totally. Yeah, Youth That's Today, your, fucking crazy. You know, you brand. make a T shirt, you make your album, your album art, this and that. Yeah. And so, like, 
in a way I feel I've had moments when I had the job where I was like, fuck, who am I? Like, I'm not, I'm not qualified for this. I didn't go to college like these dudes and, and you know, for marketing or advertising. But then I have moments where I'm like, Shit, I got this man. Like this is, I've been doing this since I was a kid. Yeah. You know, and the relationships you built throughout your career, mm-hmm. there's so many people that come from our world that are doing different things in life. And you know, it's like, so people are always going to know you're going to run to somebody you met or like you inspired us. Oh, I remember you at the show. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in your adult life, it's, it's interesting how that works, you know? Yeah. No, and, and hardcore is great. I'm sure like we've all met, you know, you as adults now, like you meet people who are in interesting positions that, you know, 20, 30 years ago were into your band. Loved your band. You changed your life in right. some way. hundred percent. So we had some weird. Paid forward type shit. Like there's one agency I was working at had some weird music program with Walmart, oh, which yeah. was super fucking corporate mainstream. Like I'd never in a million years thought I'd be doing something like that. Yeah. But I had to go to Bentonville, Arkansas, oh, shit. where Walmart land is from. And I'm like, you know, like kind of nervous. Like this yeah. is like not my world, it's not your world at all. And I go over to the, there was universal music had a label there and this dude was there and I was like, fuck, I gotta meet this guy. Da, da, da. And we're talking and he's like, yeah, I've been at universal for a long time. And da, da, da. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, I was in a band that was actually signed to Island Def Jam called rival schools. And he was like, holy shit. He's like rival schools. He's like, I followed your band around in my car. I was your regional no rep. Way. I was hanging posters up all over fucking, you know, the South when your record wow. came out. I was like, I loved it. Da, da, da. And it was just, you know, we hit it off. That's cool. Yeah. So, and that's happened a bunch where like, you just, you know, you meet dudes that. It's crazy the impact you have on people and not realize it. Mm-hmm. All walks of life, different eras of your life because you have so many bands to choose from of shit you've done. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, I think that's awesome. Right. I just got to figure out if I played in PM Dawn or not. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we get out of this interview. You get a, you get a Google search. You know, it's a cool one. I did a record with Gabby Glazer from Luscious Jackson. Love that band. That's a good record. Give me Splash. Oh wow! Check that one out, folks. What, what else is not? What else is on my list? That you play with Lost Prophets before you the did? Uh, before, before before the uh, wow the down before the evil. Holy <laughs> just shit. one show. Oh wow! Yeah, where was that? It was a that was a um, I think I have like a little Rain Man like capability to learn a song, and so this the manager was like, "Hey, the drummer's like." doing some family shit he can't do it and they have a radio show in chicago it's a fly-in damn can you go in that morning rehearse that day play that night so i was like sure so like the whole week leading up to her two weeks i was like listening to their songs holy shit and um just kind of playing them on a little bit and i went i met those dudes and rehearsed and played a, a show and that night and flew back the next day good show weird show yeah that band was massive they were going yeah. to be massive yeah yep. fucking crazy i know man. that was a crazy one Anybody else? PM Dom is pretty sick, though. It's pretty awesome, man. <laughs> Whether it happened or not, it is. I know. It's a good story, though. Yeah. Um, so here we are now in California, a grown man, dad, husband, yeah. and still playing music. It's fucking pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Judge, totally. Youth of Today, Come. Shelter. <laughs> and so many oh, bands yeah, Shelter. Still play. Yeah. Yep. Oh, fuck, we talk about Shelter. So it was Shelter. <laughs> Holy shit, Mantra. Amazing record. So you with sit, them. Sit properly. Holy shit, dude, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm keeping you along. I'm sorry, but you have so much to talk about. But the Krishna Conscious came in. Were you involved in that? Um, You know, it was hard. And it's funny because I talked about, Ray and I talked about it recently, about how at the time when we were in Youth Today, towards the end of Youth Today, and Ray was be, uh, becoming a hard Christian, like in 89, yeah. we're in Europe. He had a Sika. He was shaved up. He was staying, you know, we would stay in the squat and he would go to the Christian temple and stay there. And like he had his Christian crew and these dudes would come for him and this yeah. whole thing. And, uh, you know, he was telling me recently, it's like, look, you know, I wish that I made it more inviting for you guys because back then I think it was such like he had to really take a, a position and kind of like, I'm this, like draw a line yeah. in the sand. 
And for us, you know, we sort of felt threatened by that because you're taking like our buddy away, our boy. Yeah. Like, you're breaking up our band and our fucking homie Christian is like our now. Boy away. Yeah. That's our new album. Christian. <laughs> this one's called Christian Took Our Boy Away. Holy shit. So you never get into it. I never see you rocking the beads. I never see you into that. Yeah. No, I might have had some beads okay. for a little bit. But, um, and I've, I've fully like respected it and it's yeah. really, and it's, it's definitely cool. And I've stayed at a bunch of temples and I've talked to a lot of those guys. Yeah. You know, one, um, when I was in, so when I was in shelter for a minute, like we, I recorded Free Will and Sharonagri, that seven inch, and I was in the band and somehow I got the green light to book this tour from my room and I booked a, like a tour from New York to Minneapolis and back. I want to say it was like 15 shows or maybe less, 10 Damn. or something, but it was shelter inside out and quicksand. Damn. And dude. I booked it. I got the phone numbers from, um, Doug Karen. I would just call these clubs like, what's up? Hey, I want to book the show. And um, Doug Karen from Descendants? No, from no, Doug Karen was our, 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 no, he was a different Doug Karen. Doug Karen, that's a different name. Yeah. Okay. He was our, our, our booking Holy agent dude. The, the Doug Karen from the end of this Grill Biscuit CD. Okay. You know? Okay. Um, Damn. But we went, and so Grill, uh, Quicksand was just sort of traveling on their own. They had a van. I think Charlie was in the band at the time. Walter was just singing no guitar, and they were doing their own thing. But Shelter and Inside Out traveled together, and we had a school bus filled with Hare Krishnas. We had a van. With like the non-Christian people, me, Zach, Purcell was non-Christian at the time, and maybe wow, one or two other dudes. Dude. And then there was a Winnebago with the Maharaj, who was like the main, like grand poobah dude of the whole Holy thing. Shit. And then every, you know, and Capo being like the camp counselor, he would just sort of organize it. We'd all go together like a little caravan. We'd pull over the side of the road and pull out pots and start making food and, you know, Holy and shit. uh we get back in, but like in the morning, you know, we go to leave and it's like, we're like, all right, we're leaving, you know, 10 a.m. And, uh, you know, today, um, Purcell, you're going to ride with the Maharaj. And then so Purcell would ride with the Maharaj that day. And the next day, it's just like, you know, and Sammy, you're going to ride with the Maharaj today. And it's like, I don't want to ride with the Maharaj. <laughs> I want to sit here with Zach and tell jokes. And like, you yeah. know, he's funny as hell. Like, what's we're bugging out. So <laughs> next, you know, I'm like in the, this, you know, I'm like 15 and I'm in the Winnebago with the Maharaj, who's Holy like this 50 year old dude. You know, and he's just like, sits down. He's like, it's like, so, you know, Sammy, like, what do you think the meaning of life is? And oh, I'm just like, oh, man. Damn. Come on, Maharaj. That's too heavy for a 15-year-old. It was too heavy, but it was... Uh, That's interesting. You know, in retrospect, though, it was great. Uh, just a really cool experience, and, you know, to, to do that, and the shows were sick, and Ray was, yeah. you know, had that same energy that he had with youth today. Yeah, how many records you play on Shelter? Just those two songs. I started playing on Mantra, and I started kind of working on songs with them, and then... I don't think I don't know why that one didn't work out, but I just did. You do the mantra tour though. Then I did the I did a tour with Typo Negative and Shelter. Was that the later. big tour and they blew up? Um, did you do the South America one? Maybe? No, I didn't do that. Got yeah, a bunch of different lineups. Yeah, they were mad. Like, yeah, I fucking Adam said they were massive in South America. The hit yeah. song "Here We Go Again" was a hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a good record. It's crazy, man. Yeah. That was so then we started playing about a year ago and kind of. Yeah, play shows periodically. It's cool. So you organize the shows for Judge Shelter Youth today? I've kind of been I've been driving it. You know, we have some people helping us yeah. here and there, but like you know, I've been sort of, you know, kind of driving that stuff a, a little bit. You're the main dude, right? yeah, yeah. It's just communication. I'm I think I'm good at that from doing it for a long time, and yeah. and like knowing that you know this dude's schedule's tight, and this guy's got this other thing he's got to do, and this guy, you know, it's just you like all right, it all. let's have a conversation. Like let's get in front of it. You know, we got to make merch. Let's have a fucking conversation about it. We got to yeah. book some flights. We got to do this. Da-da-da. It's a lot of shit to handle, though. It is. I do that too. Me and Adam do that for like over ten years. We organize all mm-hmm. that. But you know what? We've had I joke with Capo because it's like his communication is so fucking crazy. Like he lives in the woods. He has <laughs> no phone service. He's in India half yeah, the year. Yeah. So it's like smoke signals. You know, he'll like like just throw <laughs> like he'll just pop up every once in a while and be like, 
Yes, I can do that. I know he sent me his no, number. No, Sent me his number. And he said it was it had to be on WhatsApp. It's got to be on WhatsApp. He loves that app. That's his favorite shit. Even if he's in America. Um. It's yeah. A, yeah. Because he's supposedly there's no cell signal where he lives. Gosh, I hope it works over the phone. Um. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So you've got to work with so many different front men and so many different artists, man. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing, man. It's crazy. I you know I love it because it just documents different periods of your life. Yeah. So to be able to look at those records or listen to them and just like. You know, pulls yeah. up these these memories, and uh, I'm psyched. I was really psyched on World Be Free, and I'm psyched on Constant Elevation, and I want to do another record. I mean, I'll, I'd love to do like a record a year. At yeah, least. I was gonna say you're still making music, which is awesome. Yeah, and balancing family and a job and all that, mm-hmm. like, because this there's no retirement plan for musicians, really. There's no like 401k, none of that stuff. So it's like, yeah, I mean, even then, like, you know, when you even in my job, job, it's nice to have a job for yeah. sure, but like even there, there's security. no there's no security, there's no promises, there's mm-hmm. no like you can get laid off and that's true. You make money, but you get taxed, and it, yeah. I don't know. It's just all like, uh, it's a balance of like trying to do what you need to do for your family, and then also try and do your what you know what's good yeah. for your soul and because you could easily just work for your family, couldn't you? No, not Secret no. Moving and stuff no, they no? sold that. Oh, they did. Well, what happened was, well, like now you can go to your own storage unit, right? True. So as soon as that came about, that business was kind of shot. Damn, how many years was it running for? Since eighteen seventy six. Wow, dude. <laughs> no, they had a good run, but the problem, the build, <laughs> the the building was falling apart, and um, and my dad and my brother sold it. Yeah, was your brother in a hardcore too? I mean, so my dad and his brother. Oh, his brother. Um, your sister. Your sis- sister. My dad's brother was crazy in a hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> but your sister seemed to bring the show. She got into it too. She was not? sort of into it. She had a really weird chapter, man, which I like never talked to her about. But it's funny, <laughs> like she was hanging out for a minute with, um, like Lazar. I remember that name. You remember yeah. those girls? Yeah. And like there was a crew. I want to say the band was called Scab. Okay. And there was a crew of like, pretty pretty full on. Like I don't know if they were official war zone women or who they oh. were. But they were like LES, oh, wow. you know, the Aztec, all those spots. And she somehow kind of got into that world for a minute. But, um, but didn't, women. yeah, but didn't really get uh, as into it as I did. You, you were tight with rabies too back then, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was cool. He was like total camp counselor. Yeah, he was the older guy and stuff. And mm-hmm. worked at venues and clubs to get us in and stuff. I remember yeah. That. Yeah, and was, he was like, there were certain figures that were just this bridge between all these worlds and, and, um, like kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about like that comp with nausea and YDL yeah. and like this whole war zone. Yeah. It's just, and it all worked and you would see these bills where these bands could all play together yeah. and it made sense. And yeah. I think a lot of that is because of guys like Rabies who just sort of was like, he just made it all feel accepted. You yeah. know, you could be straight edge, you could be a skinhead, like you could be a punk, Yeah, you know, you could be a girl, yeah. you could be a boy. Like it's all yeah. fucking welcome. I like that. And when that got lost, Shit kind of got a little just boring. Were you ever scared to play at a show? To um, like like the, the tense energy in the club. Not not against you guys, but just were there any situation where you were scared to play a venue or? It was like a lame scene. Some festival in Florida, like one of the first Youth Today reunion type shows, and we went down to the Florida uh, show in Florida, and like I think there was a bunch of kids that were just like prepared to kick our ass or something. Really? Yeah, and like that kind of got potentially uh. hairy. Um. It was just lame. Yeah, it was just dumb. Um, but nothing happened. But um, yeah, like I mean, this boycott a, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, total. Just yeah. like I don't know. So is that when you, is that a later reunion or something? Yeah. Okay. But like in retrospect, I think at the time I was just so fucking young and just in it and just like game yeah. on. Like didn't really think shit through. But I mean, looking yeah. back, like yeah, there was some gnarly places you played, situations, and areas you were in. But yeah, you're like safe. you're always safe though. Pensacola, Florida, 1988. You know, Tallahassee, Florida, 1988. Yeah. Like. 
Shit was sketchy. And that one last judge show that I heard that Purcell talked about, some kid got beat up. Mm-hmm. Black kid came into the show, and I was like, all right, that's it. Yep. Like this, these these songs aren't about that. Yeah. It always made it always made me crazy, like seeing the people fighting during Walk Together, Walk Together at a seven second show. Or like people that's there for soundtrack of violence, right? soundtrack mm-hmm. of violence. They'd be there for the the breakdowns and the punching and the dance, but not connecting with anything what they're singing about. Mm-hmm. That was always fun. That, that was like that was like bummed me out a lot back then for sure. Mm-hmm. The tides were changing with that type of yeah. energy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the live in '91 video you're in is awesome, right? You're in that, right? Yeah. Interview with you with uh, Mother. Yeah, Me and Siv, yeah. It's so good. It's Such a weird, a that's a crazy time, though. Yeah, I wish they, they should re-release that. It was really cool. Howie Abrams, you're listening. You should release that. Release it. It was really cool, though. You just got back probably from a tour then, I think, probably. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, that was just a weird, you know, it, it is what the it is. The scene was weird then in 91. Well, just that lineup for Gorilla Biscuits, too, was tricky. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tom Purcell. Capone and Purcell, and, right. and Walter wasn't playing guitar, he was playing bass. That's right. Um, and we just were starting to write some new songs. I think some of those distance moon, distance were like Moondog Great. songs, and yeah, moon you know Dog, we were talking about doing another GB record. And you and we, Moondog too? Uh, I played one Moondog show at ABC No Rio. I did do that. <laughs> That's crazy, yep. dude. Yeah, <laughs> so many bands, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the distance that, that was. I mean, Purcell with long hair. That was like an interesting vibe. That show. yeah. But I think that's you know everything happens for a reason, right? So like yeah. that was looking back like that is was like i think the jump off for quicksand and that was a jump yeah. off for Civ, and that was a jump off for that right. you know that page kind of turning and yeah you know that the next chapter fuck man uh-huh. well, i think we covered all your bands i thought you were bold for a second but i guess not i did i mentioned that i did a one it wasn't in the list though bro you yeah. did you did a couple bold things just yeah. a just a just a tour yeah um but no recordings i feel like we're missing something though now your list is pretty fucking sick pretty but robust with the hardcore we did project x side by side to today judge Civ, uh gb no Warzone for you? No. That was no. Luke's world. That yeah, would have been cool, though. Yeah. I loved Warzone. Yeah. That's a great fucking... I mean, don't forget the struggle. Don't forget the streets. It's amazing. Incredible. Even the Lower East Side 7-inch. The 7-inch right? is amazing. Uh, Tim Armstrong was on. He's talking about how he got so ex- inspired by all the Revelation releases back then, how they were, it was so important. And just like everything that came out during that time was just so powerful, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's like later on what became everything Fat Records put out, all the kids liked, everything Epitaph, everything Victory. But Revelation was like the first label where everybody just kind of attracted to you know i think the because you know i was thinking about like um the cassettes too like some of the demos and some mm. of the live bootleg cassettes were yeah. amazing because something about tape i don't know if it's the compression or whatever like yeah. it just sounds fucking special yeah. and um like i had like the something else demo that i remember digging or like the breakdown demo was amazing or the raw yeah, deal demo, raw demo was you know some of those demos were just like fuck this is just it was a gb one too that roger said he mm-hmm. had yeah yeah do you, gb do, demo do you have a lot of do you say do you have like the test presses i do i have a lot of shit um, Siv used to make fun of me because it was like the vault. Like things would just go like, I would just get things and just go right to the vault. But um, you saved a bunch. The you're vault, yeah. I need to get to the vault. The vault's hardcore, my mom's house. Hardcore story and kind of hoarder. Yes, I am. I like that. I remember Siv had the seven inches out of his house and it was like they were ripped and he didn't even care. They were sitting out by the cats and yeah, it's just records to him. It's something he was a part of. But other people, I sold like some treasures. of my records when my daughter was born because oh. I I had I had a little bit of a flood in my basement. Some of them got fucked up and then I was just like, you know what? Let me just purge some of these and get some money and also give these records out to like whatever whoever else out mm. there but also because i just have so much other shit that i'm like yeah. okay with i have like original set lists or you know original this or that that i'm you know you have chunking i sold my fucking chunking unfortunately Damn. i know and that was like the biggest highest selling one a couple of years ago i heard yeah yeah i think that uh wow yeah i heard recently i think i think it was alex brown maybe sold his test pressing 
Holy shit. For the like G's. eight grand or something. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking crazy. So you sold yours a long time ago? Um, I had like four or five, I think, that I sold Jesus. throughout the years. Yeah. And the first one probably for not that much. And but then the last one I sold. A lot. Those are like, gems. Yeah. I remember I sold mine and then I sold my friend for, my friend wanted me to sell his for him. So I was like, all right, sure, I'll sell, sell it. And, uh, this kid was like, cool, I'll meet you like on the street. And I was like, all right, I'm <laughs> fucking like get jumped or something. Yeah. So I just did a restaurant and, uh, my friend came with me and he was super cool. He was actually, um, this kid, Ryan, who, who worked at, or maybe owned Fat Beats. Okay. Oh, that's You might know that dude. Yeah. That's awesome. And I was like, what are you going to do with this, man? Like, you're not a hardcore kid. He's, yeah. He's like, no, I'm just going to, you know, sit on for a little bit. He was like, a, he's a real record, uh, you know, um, trader. He was up on what's happening on the internet too, like that highest selling record. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It was scary. It was the first time I ever used eBay was when I sold these records and all of a sudden it shit started going through the roof and I was like, I had no idea how to do it. Like, what yeah. do you do when someone wants it? Like, how do you get in touch with them? Like, do you mm-hmm. give them your number? Like, do you talk to them? What do you do? Do you ship yeah. it? Like, do you insure it? Like, what if it gets fucked up? Yeah. It was stressful. <laughs> just everything we did back then with no internet and no phones and you booking shows, all that's incredible. Just like word of mouth and there was this community spread out across the country. Yeah. And now everything's just like you pick up your phone, get a discography of any band you want, book a show. It's yep. so much easier, man. It's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you see what like Steve Reddy turn equal vision into with Dude. you know with merch now and like an empire man. all this yeah. stuff that just started uh it's that full mentality you know back from glass has got a similar thing going on and oh yeah and even have, you yeah. know revelation like it's still around yeah like, that's wild discord's still there uh, epitaph's still there mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing they stood the test of time for mother's their... market's still there yeah i love mothers man don't sleep on mothers mothers <laughs> you put that on the map i was like what the fuck i remember remember seeing that. i was like 21 we saw the video well, I, was, I was at that show but like what is mother's? What's that shirt he's wearing? Right. It's pretty cool, man. That was a good one. You guys were rocking long sleeves back then. Nobody was doing that. You guys were ahead of the curve on a lot of fashion shit that hip hop took later on. Not necessarily saying they stole it from Youth of Today or the Youth Crew days, but it was cool later on when Supreme did the Youth Crew sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. That was pretty crazy mm-hmm. without the X. Yep. It's all that shit coming full circuit because Supreme was just like a small skate shop on fucking Lafayette. It was nothing like it was. It's insane. My son's yeah. obsessed with that shit. Yep. I'm like, really? That was a skate shop. I know. But before streetwear and all that stuff, like I feel like a lot of the merchandise you guys are making, Harker's making, was streetwear. I was into uh, in my Thirty Two Tribes reggae days, Five 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 Soul. Yeah, Five 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 Camilla Soul. Camilla yeah. made us some crazy outfits. We wore those. Yeah, Stussy. I looked like a jester, like a court, like a little. <laughs> fucking... <laughs> you always rock cool shit though, hip shit though back then. I had, you know, I had my moments. Like you had your blowout. Yeah, that was fucking yep. sick. Um, but the Supreme issue back then was just like whatever. Wasn't like I had my blowout and I was dating this girl. I was actually in California, and it's funny. I was uh, ran into and she, for some reason, I, I let her whatever. This was pre Justin Timberlake doing this, but I did. She did cornrows in my hair. You did? Yes, oh, for one day. Shit, I love but and I that. go and I leave. I'm out in California, <laughs> and I leave the house and I run into Dante Ross. Oh my and I'm god! Just like, oh my god! Caught me out there. You had no cornrows in. Nothing, just rocking cornrows on fucking <laughs> Melrose. <laughs> That's amazing. Busted. Um, Holy shit, you feel so weird? It was, Did he say anything about it? I would love to see that. Yeah, totally. I saw him the other day. I, I told him that. I'm guilty of all the hip hop shit. We used to, we used to meet Freddie, all of us to go get gold fronts from Gold Cap Charlie oh, yeah. on Canal Street. Dude, Charlie Garriga is the best man. I, when like he was in Cleveland, like he used to rock like a like an X Clan fucking chain and like Sick. a Doctor Seuss hat. <laughs> you know, like caught up in the deal of soul fashion, all that shit. Totally. Used to get caught up in all that man. Look, dude, Tribe was the best. Yeah, you wanted to be down. You wanted to. 
I always thought the Tribe and De La Soul was like the seven seconds of hip hop, like or like mm-hmm. whatever. You guys just Native like a po- positive message. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was a different than regular hip hop, but that's a whole different fucking episode. That is. But would you consider yourself an optimistic or pessimistic person? By the conversation, I can tell you pretty optimistic. Yeah. Glass. My mom gets pissed at me because I'm always just like, but it could all work out. Yeah. You know, if this is, it's like, I'm yeah. definitely glass half full because it's just like, I can't sit around. You know, I may, you know, maybe there are moments where I probably should do it more, but I just have a hard time with just like accepting the fact that it sucks, you know, yeah. or that it's Especially right or now. Whatever. It's crazy. World it's going to, you know, you just, yeah, it's like, let's, figure it out let's yeah. let's get let's rise above it you know and and whatever and i feel like out. you probably got that from being a hardcore kid too and probably. the people you're around yeah you know yeah because all that shit was like fuck we have a flat tire how are we gonna fix it the back mm-hmm. axle of the van broke how are we gonna get out of here <laughs> let's get promoter didn't pay us what are we gonna do you yeah, know, like, yeah yeah you gotta figure it out um do you have any daily rituals um coffee yeah coffee's that's a good it, one that seems to be the theme on this podcast it's coffee. coffee yeah yeah it's just damn good I never fucked with coffee i have it like once a year and it makes me crazy but yeah. i have it Coffee's good. Um, you meditate or anything? Or no? I don't. I need more of that shit. I'm Me gonna. Too. I'm. I'm meditate. coming big time in 2020 or whatever. <laughs> the <laughs> summer shit. or something. Yeah. I really need to. I thought when I moved to summer LA. Summer 19. I honestly thought when I moved to LA, I was like, I'm gonna get. It's such a healthy. I'm place, gonna. Man. I'm gonna get in so much shape. Da da da. This and that. And I really am like, wake up, get my car. Not like drive, you drive a lot. Just I drive, and I'm not like I miss walking. So I was just in New York the other day, and I walked my ass I off. Saw and, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, and like that's fucking real. Do you miss New York? Uh, I do, I do, I do. I mean, I have, um, I have, I'm like a fucking psychopath though. Like, I'll like every block, I'll have a different thought. Like, I'll walk down one street, I'm like, I'm definitely moving back to New York. I fucking love New York. I'm all about New York. And then another block, I'm like, fuck this, dude. Word. It's fucking dirty. It's, it's cold, freezing. And it's not fuck. the same energy there. It's yeah. different, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of our shit's gone. Yeah. But you know, I, I grew up in Greenwich Village, so like, I have these romantic memories yeah. and ideas of wanting to raise my daughter there. Yeah. And but it's just a different city for sure. It's cool you still have a crib that you rent. That's smart to be subletting out there. That's smart. That's yeah. Right? yeah, that's that was, really, um, really smart. Buying that was like... What year did you buy that? I think it was like 15 years ago. Damn, dude. I know. It's crazy. Really with that. smart move, man. It was a crazy... You know what it was? What the, was it? I think it was the same year. Couldn't have been the same year. But I don't know. Yeah, it was... That's, um, a, that's a really smart move, man. I think it was when Civ had a... We had a song in a Honda commercial or Nissan yeah, commercial or something right, like that. dude. Got a little money from that and, Holy um, shit. you know, borrowed some money and just made it happen. And like, it was scary as hell. But the thing about that is, you know, as time goes on, it's like looking back now, I'm like, fuck, I'm glad I did it. Dude, that's crazy. A hundred commercial. Maybe we guys had a song on there. Yeah. Or Nissan. I think it was Nissan. Yeah. That's crazy. You did that. That's really smart, man. That's mm-hmm. besides obviously being married, having kids. That's a really big accomplishment in your life that you did that with music. You know what was cool, cool about the licensing stuff was that with, um, long story short, but with the first record, Set Your Goals. Did well. Second record, 13 Day Getaway. Didn't do so well. We got off the label. Our manager was tight with the president of our label. Scott McGee. Golf buddy type shit. Yeah. We got both of our masters back. So we own both of our masters. Dude. The publishing off the second record, we own. So I think at the time, if you were a brand and you wanted to, you needed a punk song and you couldn't afford The Offspring, you couldn't afford Green Day, you couldn't afford Blink-Blink 2, you call Charlie Garriga was the main contact for Civ. No way. And he would just get calls and we would license to Sharpie Pens. We have a song in Scooby-Doo Part 3. We have what? a song in Road Rash Video Game Part 2. Dude. We have a song. There's a movie called Three to Tango, maybe. We have a song in that. Yeah. Like, So we just kept licensing shit. Um, Holy so shit. So that second record was, we did, you know, better off that second record than I think that, that first record from a, from that a business standpoint. Holy shit. Yeah. 
I didn't even know that you guys even did that after mm-hmm. that. Um, and then and then right now your, your I'm on board thing is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. It was um, you know, it was interesting with uh, when I left that last job I had and had a few months to kind of figure out what the fuck I'm doing. I was like, yeah. I really want to be productive and let me. So I did the constant elevation, this new project, recorded those songs. Yep. It was like I'm gonna fucking do this project, even if it just whatever happens with it, who knows? But yeah, and put it out. And then the other one was this idea about um an interview series in rowboats and wanting to do that. And so like I just shot a pilot and just That's came cool. together last minute and grabbed uh Walter was in town and Scott, Scott Weingard and Vern yeah. and then grabbed these two dudes with cameras and got a rowboat and went to the Venice canals. And <laughs> but the idea was like, it'd be cool to do an interview series in rowboats in various bodies of water around the world, like, wherever that artist is. Yeah. If it's a musician, a photographer, artist, chef, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. And you get into like, a robo. I love that. You know, so like it's interesting. Yeah, and you can do. There's like YouTube channels now that mm-hmm. you can do like like private YouTube channels you have to subscribe to. Like people doing all that shit, putting shows right on there. I would love to um, quit my job and just ride around in rowboats and talk shit with yeah. people. <laughs> so if any, anybody out there wants to make it happen, but I'm um, dude. There's so many. There's so many avenues for something like that. I think. I think it's cool too. You could create a podcast. You can do something with the visuals and like you can just. Um, I don't know. I like I like those ideas. Like I, and it's, you're seeing them more and more now. But like NPR has Tiny Desk, mm-hmm. and then Pitchfork has the Over and Under. Yeah. But I think, um, I love that idea of just like a cool series, a cool conversations, way to, and just like yeah, yeah. Tell me, I think you said something about, about like you, there was no kiwis back in the day for you and stuff like that with food. I yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I just never when I was a kid. Yeah, I didn't really have kiwis. I don't Dude, just, do you I, remember? Do you remember fucking quinoa or kale? No. When we were kids, like being vegetarians, that it's interesting. Around, they just kind of throw new food out there. They they it comes we'll out. We keeping this shit the whole time. Star like, fruit. Yeah. I remember having sushi for the first time. This place on Eighth Street. Wow. Going there with my family, I was like eight. I I've just, never had sushi ever. It's crazy. I never had it. You never had it? No, man. Well, like vegetarian or uh, yeah, cucumber had. rolls. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Go get the, one right now. You know, with the, <laughs> with that, the um oh with that's the avocado in and shit. You mean like raw fish? So you never never had that. No. Yeah. Yeah, dude, all the different fruits and shit that weren't around back then is pretty nuts, man. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. The kale fr- is the biggest thing. Yeah. Kale chips. How's your eating? You're a pretty healthy eater? I think so. I think I am. I, I'm, I think I'm Oh, I think I'm too heavy on the carbs, man. Me too. I'm a fucking I, carb I, I addict. I get caught up in that shit, so I gotta chill. Like, I don't feel complete unless I have a shitload of pasta. Or, you know? Oh, you're Italian, right? No. You're not? Uh-uh. Oh, sorry, you're Italian. What are you? Um, I'm Chinese. I didn't even ask you that. No, you're... <laughs> What are you? I am, uh, my dad's Romanian, Russian. I'm even actually And my mother's German, Dutch, Irish, Welsh. Holy shit. Yep. Well, I just thought you were Italian. It's interesting. Craziness. That's, people thought you were kind Asian of a before, mu- though? Yeah. People were like, oh, you're Puerto Rican. I'm like, no. They're like, you're you know, Chinese. You're like this. Because I just, yeah, I have one of those. You have that look to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really Japanese vibe, too. Yep. Maki, too. Hayagazamasi. <laughs> um, I think we cover a lot, man. Good. This Someone's this, this blowing me up. Fu- this has been fucking awesome. It's All the, the best. tours. It's kind, of, it's kind of the best one you've done, right? Fuck yeah. You and Purcell are my tops right now. Thank you. I just want this to be a conversation. And the point of this podcast, people listening, is I'm just trying to talk to the people who inspired me as a kid and hear their stories and what inspired them to get to where they are today. That's this whole point of this podcast. There's no agenda. You know, I have questions and everything usually spirals into other, other conversations. And I want it to be as natural as possible, not feel forced and comfortable. That's my whole vibe. You can learn about the people that inspire me. Um, that's why I started with my mom. But, uh, yeah, Sammy, so what do you, what do you want to plug? Anything you want to plug out? Um, the new group, you already said that. That's amazing. Constant Elevation, let's plug it. Yeah, Constant uh, Elevation, Cooling My Mansion. They're right around when I cool in my mansion. Putting on the streets in the city. <laughs> let's put good, good. Let's send Scott Vogel some vibes on World Be Free. Yeah. Just 
Scott. I'm having him on next week too. Just I'm tell gonna him bring to do some sure. fucking music. Get Sh- with it. Shout out to Vinny Movie Life. Yeah. You can, you can see Judge somewhere soon. You can see Youth of Today. You can see Shelter. Mm-hmm. I'm on board. Scott is everything, man. I'm on board. Is that like is that a website for that or just on your social? Just out there, What's man. your social? Um, Mr. SZA. Mr. SZA. M-R-S- yeah. M-R-S-Z-A. Yeah. What's that from? Uh, the RZA, the SZA, the Jizza. <laughs> I didn't make it into the band. I tried. Oh, shit. Top five hip hop. What you got real quick? Top five. Yeah. Eric B. Rakim, EPMD, Public Enemy, Tribe Called Quest. And... Damn, man. It's pretty fast. I never seen somebody say this so fast. <laughs> You're confident. The fifth one. Who? I don't know. Dude, no Beasties? Yeah. Beastie Boys. Sure. And you knew those kids. You went to the same high school. That's pretty cool. The Stuyvesant shirt. I did. I knew them through Greenwich. It was a Greenwich Village Connection. It's Ricky Powell one day was like, hey. Do you want? Oh no! Actually, it goes back. I think further. I ran into. Uh, yeah, they were around. Just that's knew. Cool. Yeah. You know what I want to say about them? This is no diss to them. Is that they were the original like hipsters, like going to thrift shops and wearing those clothes and the the weird random shirts. I feel like bringing that to the mainstream, like the high, like like the high water pants and like you know what I'm saying those mm-hmm. random fucking like Stuyvesant and whatever shirts. It was pretty cool, man. Think yeah. about the ringer tees. Another sweet factoid, beasties ish is um. My dad played drums on Hello Nasty. Your dad did? And if you look at the back of Hello Nasty, it says, Richard, Sammy's dad, Siegler. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, my dad got pissed at me. He's like, what the fuck is this? How come you're credited on this? You, yeah. had him put, you had him write it like that? Um, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. They did it. But, um, Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Random. Did you know Beasties before they blew up? No. When they were like the punk rock, probably walked through They were older than me, so... Um, uh, so you went to school a totally different time. There. Yeah, the different times. School. That's still cool. Yeah, we ended up playing basketball together. Yeah, and you went maybe on a softball team with them too. I didn't really play this on the softball team too much, but yeah. uh, but basketball was, was was pretty consistent for like six or seven years ago. Those dudes. Yeah, like three days a wow. week sometimes. So yeah. you knew Yout too. Mm-hmm. Wow, totally. Man. He was the one that got my dad. He he came up to me one day and said, "Hey, he's like, hey, I need a um, do you know any Brazilian drummers?" And I said, well, there's a guy named Duduka who's like this heavy session guy. He's a badass motherfucker. Yeah. I was like, what do you need? He's like, just like, you know, just some bossa nova type, real simple Brazilian grooves. Uh-huh. I was like, to be honest, like my dad can do that shit really well. He's like, oh, great. It's like, have him come by the studio. I was like, okay. So I tell my dad, like, you can go by, you know, play on this record. Dude. And he's like, yeah, whatever. You know, he didn't really know who the Beastie Boys were. <laughs> we get down to the studio on Mott Street. Mario's there and um, Yauk. And my dad puts his headphones on. It's listening to music. And he's like, no joke. He's like, He's like, you know what this sounds like? He's like, this sounds like that Tibetan stuff. You know, like the Tibetan music? And I was like, yep, okay, there you go. Wow. And he's like, so where are these Beastie Boys? And I was like, well, <laughs> they're right there, dude. Like, <laughs> But he sat down, he played in two tracks. I think one of them ended up on the record. That is fucking crazy, mm-hmm. man. It's crazy to say Tibetan, because I didn't know until later on from the new book that like how much Yao was involved in uh, Tibetan concerts he was putting on, yeah. all that shit, funding and making those benefits for that. that was pretty amazing because nobody knew they don't even knew the party side of the Beastie Boys you know yeah did you see that book and stuff I did it's pretty I, crazy man yeah no, they're the fuck, they're the best they are man they, they changed so much and they brought like the skateboarding the punk rock community together I think street were all that they're the ones that meshed it together I think mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing man it's, it's, dude speaking about meshing shit together I gotta go to this dude's wedding okay we're, we're out of here we can talk later <laughs> meshing people together <laughs> All right, Sammy Siegel, that was an amazing conversation. We might have to do a part two someday. <laughs> but thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having I'm me, fucking man. This is great. Thank you, Sammy. One life, one chance. Peace. Peace. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to the next one.